Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Survivor Historians. I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Paul Ass Oslison. I'm Jay Fisher. And today we are here to discuss the most beloved of all Survivor seasons, Survivor Africa. <laughs> oh, why, now why do you laugh? Why do I laugh? Why <laughs> isn't Africa on top of everyone's list of favorite seasons? Absolutely. For years, this was known as the creme de la creme of all reality shows. The crown jewel, as it were. Exactly. In fact, you know, guys, in honor of uh, Silas for this entire podcast, I will be taking a knee. That's good. That's good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, we're kind of joking around here. I know we have a lot of uh, younger listeners that didn't really watch Survivor when it aired, or the original seasons when they aired. So what we're kind of laughing about is the fact that for years, Africa was known as the one terrible Survivor season. That was maybe through the first eight, nine, ten seasons. People would say, oh, all the seasons were great. Thailand was kind of okay, but Africa sucked. So we are here to dispel that rumor. To uh, We're going to convince you that Africa was actually quite a good season. In fact, I know, uh, I believe Paul has said it's one of his favorites, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I ranked up there a little bit behind Australia. I think it's about as, as good as you get with old school Survivor that really capture what the you know, the Survivor experience was about. And it's actually quite impressive, kind of what a turnaround it's made. I mean, how much like there is now compared to how much like there used to be. I mean, it wasn't like, you couldn't really say you're an Africa fan, you know, I don't know how many of years ago. I and mean, now it's a little more socially acceptable to say that. But yeah, for a long time, Survivor Africa was like the worst piece of crap ever. <laughs> yeah, and it really wasn't that long ago either. I mean, I can... I remember just for years just hearing, oh, Mario, how can you defend Africa? Africa was so boring. And my argument was always that uh, the season I always thought kind of got better from one to two to three. And, I mean, just in in how epic and how much love they were putting into them. We're, we're going to talk more about this later. But what really I kind of think happened after Africa was the whole uh, – the stuff with uh, Marques is supposed to be set in Jordan, and they kind of had to throw that – they had to, had to switch that around. We'll get to that in a minute. But I, I love Africa. I really don't have anything bad to say about it, although – I will say it's a different viewing experience than the first two seasons. That's about the, the, the most harsh thing I will say about it. We're going to cover the season in detail, obviously. That's why we're here. Um, other than, you know, am I getting paid for this eventually? <laughs> I'm still waiting for my check. Oh, yeah, it's in the mail. It'll be there in a couple of days. Okay. I believe you. That sounds yeah. legit. But, you know, it, I think that, you know, there's a good there's a good thing for people to look at because, you know, people look at those early seasons, say they suck, they're slow paced, they're not strategizing. I like to look at people's strategy, but to me, it's always look at the other things. And I have, I defy you to find a season with better rewards that the people won. And we'll get there when we get there, obviously. But I mean, it was just a stunning, stunning season, just an epic background. And the stuff people got to do in this season is just, I think, unparalleled. Yeah, those, they were, had some uh, good rewards. And, uh, of course, uh, one of the things that we're going to have to talk about um, is 9-11. We're going to get into that in a minute because that's, I'm guessing, a good half hour of this podcast almost, how big a deal that was compared to Survivor and how it impacted it. But, um, yeah, that was obviously a big part of it. The rewards, it was, just, it was just a big season that came at a kind of a funky time in history, and it came at a really weird time in American history. So it's – I just have a lot of strong feelings of things that were going on around the time of Africa. It's, it's an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, I, I just think as an overall feeling about it, why I think a lot of people have such a negative reaction to it right away is because it wasn't as pretty as the other two Survivor seasons before. The cast, the cast is a little rougher. You have way more people that you can kind of root against, which in a lot of ways makes it more interesting because there's so much tension, you know, early, much earlier on than there were in the other seasons. The location, although cool, I mean, I think it's really interesting where they are, doesn't have the same pretty appeal as this island, you know, in the South Pacific or the Australian Outback. It's a much more rugged season. So in a lot of ways, it's almost more survival-esque. But from, you know, just a viewing standpoint, it's a little rougher than we had in the first two seasons. Yeah, one of the things that I always notice when I watch Africa is, in particular, if you kind of watch the seasons from one to three, you know, you got the first season, it was great. Second season, everyone was like, well, how the hell are they going to do this again? And so they up the stakes. They made it bigger, flashier. They had bigger villains, bigger heroes. And then what I really loved about Survivor is, you know, it worked the first two times. It got huge ratings. And they're like, the third time they could have just done the exact same thing over, go to some, you know, pretty location, like have fun rewards, have a fun season. But they almost kind of went the opposite with Africa. And it was, I always kind of loved how they did that. It was they just went, uh, you know, we're going to make it as harsh as possible. I just, we just want to see these people suffer and really make them survive the elements. And Africa, that's the one thing I think about that always jumps out at me when I watch it. It's really not very fun. They weren't having much fun at all. You know, there's so many people who even now, you know, the biggest critique is make them actually survive on this show. You know, this is Survivor. Go back and watch Africa because they did do that. Absolutely. And, in fact, I have to say, just from a selfish point of view, I always have a, a soft spot for Africa because that was the first season that I wrote about as a Survivor writer. For the first two seasons, I was just some guy at Survivor Sucks, just um, some random sidelines throwing in funny comments or message board posts. And then prior to season three, I kind of got a new job. There was a, a guy named Merch Jack, for a lot of people might know, is that for, uh, what is he right for, uh, Inside Pulse, I believe. But, yeah, he... Uh, he wanted to start a website for Survivor fans, and he needed a writer, so I came in and I said I'd do episode recaps, and that's really how I kind of started as a Survivor writer. It was the very first episode of Africa was my debut. What a, what a banner moment in, in American history. I put it right up there with the flux capacitor the day, day that was invented. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And did both of those events happen with you hitting your head on the sink? Exactly. At a certain point, yeah, a sink was involved. <laughs> And meanwhile, Good. in Montana, Paul survived the fifth grade and was 11 years old, heading into sixth grade. I remember hearing about that. My mom told me. <laughs> and the amazing thing about Paul going from fifth to sixth grade was he made the dean list for five straight semesters. Five wow. straight semesters. Couldn't make it that six semesters to make it a full three years, but for five semesters, yes. All right. Let's just jump right in. We're going to have a two-part podcast. This is going to be uh, the first six episodes with the pre-merged stuff from Africa in this show. The next show will be post-Africa, just so we don't have to rush. And obviously, the first thing that we got to talk about is 9-11, because it was a giant elephant in the room involving anything Survivor-related and basically anything in American culture-related at that time. Um, you guys obviously remember that whole week, right, after 9-11? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, granted, any input I have is going to be from an 11-year-old, so... I'm going to probably take more of a backseat on this whole thing as far as, you know, affecting America's, like, um, view of the whole thing like that. So I'll, I'll let you guys handle most of the, the bigger, deeper questions here uh, about this time period. All right. Well, when we get into questions about what happened to SpongeBob when it was canceled that week, we'll ask. We'll turn to Paul. I think it's still going strong, Mario. Okay, good. Well, the terrorist did not win then. <laughs> 
Yeah, so obviously, I mean, September 11th, 2001, uh, the worst terrorist attack, the worst attack on American soil, obviously a massive event in American history. Everybody who lived through it remembers it. It was uh, life-changing. People died. There was heroes. There was villains. And right in the middle of that were those things like TV shows, like uh, it became a big debate after 9-11. Could America laugh at that frivolous thing? Could there be things on TV like Survivor that were not important, that were just trivial? Like, would at that point in history, there was this big debate on whether these things should even be allowed on TV or if it was time that we should kind of turn off this silliness and go to just news and serious things on TV instead? And, and since uh, 9 11 was like uh, maybe a good two, three weeks right before the Africa premiere, this was a big deal because I think Survivor was one of the first shows that was supposed to come back after 9-11. It was one of the first new shows of the season. So it was like a litmus test on what was going to happen to TV. The the new season always for television, it still continues to this day. Uh, the, the new season's always in, you know, a little after Labor Day, a couple weeks after mid-September or so is, you know, when all the networks kind of roll out their new uh, television show seasons and all that stuff kind of leading into the whatever and then they get into sweeps week in february and all that other crap but you know lots of things start in that mid-september era not only just the network television shows but uh american pro football and college football kind of starts right around labor day a little after labor day so a lot of like exciting things in america television wise in just the area of entertainment in the area of sports and everything is going on right around mid-september and then 9-11 occurs obviously on the 11th of september and so you know, it was such a such an event. And so, you know, that really took priority. And so, you know, sporting events stopped the all the new shows, you know, not just Survivor, but just everything on the new networks. They just delayed everything. Everything kind of became news coverage. They just were showing repeats and and this, that and the other thing, just because they did not want people to, you know, it, the severity of the event was so great that they were like, we need to just take a break and we need to reprioritize our lives. And so, you know, as the rebuilding, as as the healing began and the rebuilding went, sports kind of came back a, a little bit later. But the network television shows and especially reality shows, you know, kind of came back a little bit later and people kind of had different attitudes on them because, you know, whereas sports is important, reality television shows aren't. Yeah, there was a lot going in there. Just the fact that Survivor was a reality show, there were so many people that just hated reality TV back then. And I know we talk about, you know, how popular Survivor was, blah, 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 how it was big. But there was a backlash to that, too, in that with this rise of reality TV, what happens is you have people like actors and writers that don't have jobs anymore because TV networks aren't picking up their shows. So like the television union, the actors union, oh, man, did they hate reality TV because it was taking money away from their, their clients. And so as big as Survivor was, there was this huge backlash against reality TV in general of – people that just wanted it to fail. Anything that was negative about reality TV, they were going to pounce on. The, the reality, the, the entertainment magazines would talk about it. The, like Entertainment, we, uh, entertainment Tonight, they talk about it because people just did not want reality TV to succeed. So yeah, so 9-11 comes along. It's like, you know, something horrible happens. All of a sudden we got this escapist show where people are stranded on an island surviving. And man, did the re anti-reality people just kind of come out in full force at that point. Like, this show should not be on the air. This mocks the true people, the true heroes of 9-11. This mocks everything, you know, that's going on in the world. These are not, people are not surviving anything. It's entertainment. And it was just, everything kind of collided all at once. The, 
people who had been hoping and rooting for reality TV to fail, and just uh, the the culture in America at the time that you know we don't really want escapist entertainment at the at this point because it's not important. Right, and and unfortunately for Survivor, being you know kind of the the founder of this new wave of of television, took the brunt for all of that. I mean, it was a long, long time that Survivor was the face of reality TV. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I want to point out we're not trivializing 9/11 here and saying you know boo hoo our our favorite TV show Survivor was impacted. I mean, I could I could do a one hour show on how Saturday Night Live was impacted by by 9/11. I could talk about how pro baseball or pro sports was was impacted by 9-11 because there was a lot going on. But yeah, since this is a Survivor podcast, this was a huge deal because interest in Survivor just plummeted. I mean, I, there's not a word in the English language to talk about how little interest there was in Survivor at that moment among anybody but like these diehard nerd Survivor fans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if someone looks up, you know, Wikipedia entry for Survivor, the television show, on Wikipedia somewhere, they have the average rating of the seasons. And, you know, Af- uh, Australia's average rating was like a 29 or something, and, and Africa's average rating is a 20. And that's probably the largest decrease from one season to the next. I mean, with, with ratings so high, you have nowhere to go but down. Yeah. But the, the largest decrease was between a- uh, Australia to Africa. And I think that a lot of people point at that and they say, Africa's an awful season. It was a horrible season. And also, see, nine more, you know, nine, you know, points of Nielsen ratings, you know, uh, or went down or 9 million people viewed uh, the show less than before, you know, because it was such a crappy season. It's like, no, it was, you know, 9-11 took a lot of wind out of the sails. Because if you look at Africa, I mean, uh, we, we've talked about how special the Australian outback was, but Africa is a very solid season and is doing, you know, even though it's different and playing with the, with the themes and all, it is remarkably consistent to Survivor Australian Outback. Uh, it's, not, it's not that much, it's not 9 million viewers less worse. It's just, the, the 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 unfortunate events that surrounded uh, America and the 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 reshuffling and reviewing of American TV. I will say one thing that I always kind of remember from that era, and this actually isn't Survivor related, but it, it's reality TV related. But there was um, some older viewers, people who watched TV back then, may remember a show called Murder in Small Town X, which was one of my favorite reality shows. It was. They rented a whole town up in Maine. They did this fictional murder mystery, and some average American people would try to solve the mystery, and everyone in town was acting out the roles. It was really kind of a this really cool little show. And the finale of Murder in Small Town X aired on September 4th, 2011, I believe, which was a week before 9-11. And the reason I remember this is because um, the winner of that show was a New York City firefighter. His name was Angel Warbe, I think. And he won the show. It was a big deal. Oh, yeah, Angel won Murder in Small Town X. Seven days later, he died on 9-11. And it was a really weird era for reality TV after that. It's like, oh, my God, like someone I just saw on TV died in 9-11. It's like it, it made the, the whole thing with, with uh, reality TV, the genre, really weird. And there was and then Survivor was one of the first shows after that. So it was really it was really in a no-win situation. Like, man, they couldn't just could not win with that Survivor premiere no matter where they aired it because it was just going to get flat because, like, just there were so many people just wanted to come out and just tear that thing apart. Yeah, I remember that actually. I liked Murder in the Small Town X. That was a really good show. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think because of what happened, they've kind of buried it. They don't want people to see it or know that it ever aired. But yeah, if you can track down a copy, that was a really cool show. And I don't think it did that great in the ratings, but uh, as reality TV goes, that was a neat one. But yeah, I mean, actually, I have a, a reader question I'm going to get into before we get to the actual season. A reader named Malacabras wrote, 
he said something along the lines of, you know, Mario, I think you're overstating the impact of 9-11. I think what happened just as much as 9-11 was that there were so many reality shows coming out at that point in history. And he was right. You had like uh, Chains of Love. You had Murder in Small Town X. You had The Mole. You had, uh, what was the one? Uh, there was one called Lost. It was kind of like The Amazing Race. That was out. You had Boot Camp. There were so many shows just invading all these networks. And this is back when it was reality. I mean, basically still four TV, four channels on TV for most people. I think yeah. I believe at that point. So, yeah, so Mel's point was, yeah, 9-11 was a big deal. But I think there were just so many reality TV shows at that point that even without 9-11, there probably would have been a decrease. And I think he's probably right, although obviously 9-11 escalated things somewhat. That was that was even the fall that The Amazing Race came out, too, was the fall of yeah. Survivor Africa. So, All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a subject we could talk about. I'm sure uh, maybe some listeners might have some questions. If you guys, after this part one, if you want to write in with some questions on, like, what kind of the mood was of 9-11 going into the premiere, feel free to write them in and we'll, we'll answer them in, at the start of part two. But I do want to get to the season. Uh, Jay, do you have any more, uh, anything to say about this? Nope. Let's move on. Before we jump into the actual season, I, I don't know where no! this... I don't know where this will fit in anywhere else. Um, but it's just funny to, you know, think of it now, how many seasons we've had a Survivor, and to 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 think back then how long they thought the show was going to go on. The fact that they named the season Survivor Africa, like, this is the yeah. like, the whole continent of Africa, um, is pretty funny considering they go back in season 17 to another African country. So um, just a little funny if you think about it, that the, where did Survivor 3 take place, place on the continent of Africa? Come on, Paul. I mean, we're not all Dean's List scholars here. You know, uh, actually, the, the funny story is a, at, in college, I had a bunch of friends that, did, that took an African history class. And the first thing the professor says on the first day, and this is college, mind you, he says, all right, if you take nothing else from my class, please remember that Africa is a continent, not a country. <laughs> you know, and th this, is, this is something that we need to know. And, 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 you know, a lot of people are sitting there going, yeah, no, duh. But it's like, you know. Tom Buchanan didn't really know where, where you know, he was. he was. I had a friend. I had a friend in college from Zimbabwe, and she had a roommate ask her, "Wait, what's the capital of of Africa again?" Uh. <laughs> <laughs> to follow up on what you said, Paul, it, it, the 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 thing with them naming it Survivor Africa, it, it really did feel like Survivor was kind of playing with the house's money at that point. Like they had this amazing run of seasons, and it's like. You know, at what point are the fans just going to stop watching? Because they were just raking in the money. I mean, the advertising, the fans, the viewership. So, I mean, it, it was kind of funny that they're cranking seasons out as fast as they could, which which cracks me up because it's still the pace they're cranking them out 24 seasons later or whatever. But at the time, they were cranking them out so fast. And even by Africa, I do remember there was a little sentiment, even among hardcore fans, like, man, they're already on their third one. It wasn't only like a year ago we just did the original. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I remember that feeling. I remember when I hit four, thinking, "Oh my gosh, there's been four. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like you think, "Oh, it's been four seasons since Survivor Heroes versus Villains." You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like you've put it into perspective. Yeah, it's just funny that it kept up the pace all these years of two seasons a year. When man, it, it seemed like it was too fast at the time, and I loved the show, so it was just funny. All right, we'll jump into episode one, the premiere of Survivor Africa, Mario as a full-time Survivor writer. And I remember the very first thing that happened in episode one was they're on a van with a giant, tall African fellow with a gun, and he escorted them off the truck, and he said, good day. And in my column, I wrote, Survivor Africa opens with Hakeem Olajuwon escorting uh, the players on onto the game, which I thought was a great joke, but I, I bet it was not a good joke. But that is my introduction to Survivor right there. Hakeem Olajuwon, for those of you who are young, was a basketball player in the 90s. 
Wow, I love how you have to preface that. Uh, <laughs> yes. I actually think the opening is really good. Uh, it's got a lot of, you know, it's got a lot of good characteristics or things you see in Africa in the, in the sense that you, you, you see the truck, it's like a safari truck, and, and they're going through the village, and, uh, you know, the children are running after the truck as, as, as children, you know, usually in, in African countries are wont to do. And uh, Jeff is giving his little bumpy little uh, speech there, and you see the people on the truck. And the guy who's driving the truck has got this gigantic assault rifle next to him, you know, and, and it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good and protected and safe. And, uh, and Having a nice it, day. Having a nice day. But, well, but even before then, it was now, now, down, 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 down. <laughs> and you see those people and they're like, I guess we have to get down. Oh, shit, he's got a gun. Okay, I'm going to get down. I'm going to get he, He's got a gun. He's telling me to get down. Okay. And then he then, then they get in the truck and then he just files and says, have a nice day. And he runs away and it's like. Fuck you. Well, and they they use the whole you know track in this um, in this vehicle they're in to to do what they what they only did in the first four seasons, which I think is a shame that they stopped then. Is introducing each contestant on their own, saying their name, occupation, and you get a quick glimpse of you know their life from wherever they are, which is something we haven't gotten you know since season four. But I mean, I think those were so powerful to do back then because you actually, I mean, even if. I mean, there's so often now in modern seasons of Survivor, you don't get to know everyone. I mean, at least if they're even a small character in the season, they get that two seconds where you're going to see who they are. You're going to see who they are in their real life before they get thrown out into the, the African wilderness. So I, I personally miss that. Well, yeah, I, I go back to even, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a big part of the season. And like I said, you, you, like you said, it's, it's even just minor character development. All you have to do is see a person's name and see what they do, and you can automatically start making kind of a, a mental picture of what they're probably like. I mean, just as minimal as the information they gave you is, that was an important part of the season. And I always go back to when Borneo started, and I remember I'm sitting there watching with my wife, and they say, uh, Gretchen Corey, a preschool teacher. And I remember I started, I started giggling. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. My wife's like, shut up. A preschool teacher's probably very good at this. Oh, well, and, and that's how like that. that's how early on. I mean, unless you're you know a big hardcore Survivor fan who does all this research about the contestants ahead of time, that's how you gravitate to find out who you like. You find maybe someone who's from the same state as you. You see someone who has a similar profession to you. I mean, that's how you start liking people or, or remembering uh-huh. who people are right away. Is you you build mental associations with with people. Uh-huh. In fact, I have to say, uh, in our Australia podcast, we had a story about how you know I had a, a connection to Nick Brown. And, like, how exciting it was to have a connection to a survivor, just any little connection. It made Australia so much more personal to me, and I know other people have said this to me over the years. Like, the fact that I just knew someone a little bit or I wrote an email to them, like, it made the show so much more important because you kind of followed their storyline as opposed to just the, what, the overall picture. And with Africa, I had that even more so, which is funny. I don't think a lot of people know this one because I haven't told this story much before. But, you know, they introduced the Africa cast. And there's this guy named Lex Vandenberg. And I'm like, huh, Vandenberg, that name sounds familiar because I had a professor in college named Christian Vandenberg. And I looked up Lex, and it said he went to Santa Clara University, which is the same school that I went to. I'm like, holy shit, I know this guy. So I looked him up, and sure enough, the guy, my college professor, who was my advisor at the time, was Lex's father. Christian Vandenberg was Lex's dad. So I had this huge connection to a guy before the show even started. I'm like, Santa Clara is not that big a school, and I got this guy who's an alum who's only a couple years ahead of me. So I actually wrote to Lex a couple times on the sly. You weren't really supposed to write to contestants back then. 
But I sent him a couple of letters through the snail mail, just uh, just handwritten, and he sent a couple back saying he couldn't write about the show, but he was so excited, you know, he wants to talk about it when he's able to. But so I actually had another connection to to Africa, and I'm like, what are the fucking odds that I have a connection to Australia and Africa? Like, no one has connections to these people. They were hidden from anybody by CBS. You get so I, you get Lex as your uh, as your connection. I get Amanda Kimmel. This is just is not fair. Yeah, and that's the thing. And Lex ended up being arguably the most important player of the season. So I got really lucky. So I loved Africa because I was so invested in it the whole season, and I was always following Lex's storyline. So for me personally, it was just really exciting to actually know somebody on there. I don't want to hurt your feelings, Mario, but that was a big step up from uh, from Nick Brown. <laughs> oh, you shut your mouth, Paul. <laughs> I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, you know, the tagline on Lex is Lex Vandenberg, not quite Nick Brown. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there we go. We now we know the title of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. did you, so who did you who who jumped out at you guys just from looking at their bios or from seeing a little intro anyway? Well, I, I think someone I think asked about this in one of the questions about um, wasn't there some kind of special that aired ahead of time? And they actually did air a special the week before Survivor started that I think it was called Countdown to Africa. And so they uh, they had you know reactions from the the first you know two seasons full of players had things to say and they had little fun things about that. And then uh, at every commercial break they would have they would show four audition tapes of the upcoming season like that. And I remember I think. I can't remember who I, I I feel like I want to pick someone to like, but they all seem so like their audition tapes were all like so risque and like eleven year old Paul didn't like that that much. Like he liked Kim Powers, but then it was a little too risque that she was in a ba- like in a bathtub threatening to show off her tattoo. And then uh, so I think I ended up saying Kelly Goldsmith was going to be my favorite going into it. I figured you would have liked Frank because he was the one that had the teddy bear. <laughs> Do you remember st- that stuff lion or something? Yeah, something like that. Like Frank is up on a power line, like adjusting the phone system, and he gets attacked by a little stuffed lion. And one of his kids throws him a stuffed animal, so he starts stabbing it to death. Which, I figured you would have appreciated that. I, I maybe I did. I don't know. But the the other kind of you know interesting thing about Africa is they have there are way more older players in Africa that there, than there had been in the first two seasons, which I always thought was you know super interesting. I think you can divide the line pretty much down the middle for like. 840 and over and 840 and younger. I think it divides out right evenly right there. Do you think that had something to do with why Africa was not all that popular? I'm curious. I've always had a theory that the Survivor audience wants young players to do well, and they don't like the seasons where the older people take over. Like Borneo, oh, man, did people hate Toggy. And I think Borneo got lucky it was the first season, or people might have revolted. But since it was still new, it still got the ratings. But I've always had a theory that when older people dominate a season and take it over, those are the ones that the Survivor fans hate. People people criticize Thailand. They criticize Nicaragua. I mean, two other seasons where they where they had you know older tribes, older people you know yeah. play a big role. So I mean, I, I think there's something to that. That people watching, they want to see younger people. They want to see you know attractive people. They want to see you know I don't know people that I don't know that that look like more like survivors to them rather than like their parents or you know someone their age or I, I don't know. I, I think I think sometimes people want a more more youthful spirit to Survivor. I think people people don't really have a good idea of the survival and the wilderness and you know a social game. I mean, yes, we've had two seasons uh, going into Africa, but even even today, we've gone through 24 seasons of Survivor, and yes, you know, through those seasons, we have developed so many characters and so many people from different walks of life have won this game. You know, claimed the million dollar prize. Strong people, weak people, 
really, really nice people, really, really not nice people in certain ways. And so, you know, we've had this great dichotomy, but I think that people kind of gravitate towards, you know, they want to see someone, they want to see someone that just, you know, passes the eye test, makes sense. You look at that person and go, yep, that person can survive. You know, that person can go out there and, and brave the elements and uh, manipulate enough people to get them to vote them a million dollars. And uh, I think that, you know, usually with older, usually less fit uh, kind of people who are probably have no problem surviving out there on little food and water, you know, it just doesn't kind of pass that eye test. And I think people kind of get uh, upset with that. And I should point out at this point that one of the most interesting aspects of Africa, which we'll get into later, is that no young person had ever won Survivor up until this point. So that's one thing I think a lot of people kind of need to keep in mind, that it was kind of assumed that the kind of the older people would take over in Survivor because the young people were more impulsive. They didn't really think long term. So that's the thing. You had Richard and Tina, who were both 40, I believe 41 years old. There had never been a young winner up to this point. So what's interesting as Africa goes along is that you'll see some of the, 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 the ideas on what makes a good Survivor player it might start to change a little bit. So I'll, we'll just get into that more as we get there. But you just keep that in mind. This was an old person game, that the, old person's game at this point. Yep. We're going to talk a lot about uh, uh, age divisions here pretty soon, I have a feeling. Yep. Right. Uh, people right. that stood out, real quick, people that stood out at me real quick, uh, I was going to school in Michigan. Uh, I'm originally from California, but I'm in Michigan at this time. And uh, so, so seeing Clarence, uh, you know, being a, a high school basketball teacher from Detroit, Michigan, it was a, a kind of a woohoo, hey, a Michigan guy. And so, you know, some, someone to root for there. And, and, you know, he starts hauling stuff, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, for some reason, just from the, from the bio, when they're getting off the truck and, and we're getting everything like that, I was drawn uh, uh, to Jesse Camacho because, you know, here, <laughs> here's, here's, this, here's this pretty girl. Uh, you know, clear, clearly an attractive girl, and she's you know a, a a a police deputy from Orlando, Florida. And I was like, oh shit, she means business. She's gonna go far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you must have loved the first two episodes of Africa with the Clarence and Jesse fan club here. Oh my god, that was kind of that was kind of tough. <laughs> but you know, the the fun thing about Africa is that you know ev- everyone you know was really good, and and you know, for first. First impressions are always, you know, this or that. You know, I, I usually form my opinions on who I want to root for after I've seen an episode or two. But, you know, you're right. It's something that I do miss from th- that old seasons had is that those glamour shots, the getting their name, getting their occupation, seeing them uh, with their in their actual kind of lives so you can kind of get that thing going on uh, gives you kind of a, a, a first speculation of everybody. And uh, how fun is it that we get Ethan's on being announced as a professional soccer player. It's like, hey, awesome. All right. Yeah, it's funny with uh, Jesse in particular. I I don't know if a lot of younger fans know this, but to this day, the most popular survivor on CBS.com is Jesse Camacho. She had like something like a 96% popularity rating, and then she got voted out in episode two, so it never went down. So to this day, she remains the most popular survivor ever. Like all the young, horny guys on the internet that love the hot young female uh uh, deputy sheriff's officer or whatever. She it paid off in spades. They loved her. She's she's number one to this day. Seems legit. Yeah. That's funny when you mentioned Clarence. I was just actually watching a uh, a, uh, a rewatch of Africa and kind of catch up on some of the little things I might have missed. And I remember him taking his shirt off, and I'm like, damn, that guy's got abs. And I'm not mm-hmm. really an ab noticer normally. I'm like, good lord. Like what? I, it's funny with Clarence in particular. He could have been a giant character. He was funny. He was good looking. 
he really kind of has this bump in episode one with the cherries, and he never really recovers. But it's, you watch it, it's like, man, he should have kind of been a popular figure because he was like – he could have been – I mean, not to make a <laughs> racial comparison here, but like the original James, the big, strong, silent type with kind of sneaky, funny at the same time. But Clarence never really took off as a character, which I think is unfortunate. Because yeah. I was like Clarence. He starts off like so bold. He's like this like dog, then gets kicked and just kind of like limps around for the rest of the season. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he started so bold, and that just that first episode just kind of does him in. Yeah, I, he he never recovered. I mean, they just did not trust him after that. And uh, you know, they they got to a working relationship with him, but. Uh, once it got to a point where they could, you know, just cut him adrift, they did. I mean, he just could never get himself in on that good graces. And you know, it's unfortunate because uh, I'm a big Clarence fan. I love Clarence. I, when I wrote The Funny 115 a couple of years ago, I remember doing a thing with the most underrated funny characters of all time. And Clarence is funny. You watch every scene he's in. He's, this says something witty or something clever. And he was just a mm-hmm. funny guy. I always like Clarence. Well, he's a radio personality today. Uh, he, he, ah. does sports, he does sports radio in Detroit. Uh, you know, the Clarence Black show. And it was funny because I didn't even make the connection. I knew his name was Clarence Black. Uh-huh. I knew he was from Detroit. And I was just tooling around uh, uh, Detroit. It was, it was, you know, a few years ago. And uh, I'm hearing this voice, and it's familiar. And it's like, this is the Clarence Black radio show. And they're talking about, you know, local uh, Michigan sports. And I'm just sitting here going, oh, that guy sounds familiar. Is he, was he, was he, did he used to be partners with another pe- person or what's going on or blah, blah, blah. And then I just sat there and it literally took me like a half an hour before. I was like, duh, Clarence <laughs> from Survivor. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know. Well, there you go. There's your trivia for the day, all you listeners out there. Clarence now hosts a radio show. Yes, absolutely. So we're good with that. But we get off the truck. The scary guy with the AK-47 drives away and they get a hike in. How do we love hiking, people? Can I, I love the high, go ahead. <laughs> my my favorite part about this whole scene, which I don't understand why they did not just like edit this this whole thing out, was that they were given plants that they could do some farming while they're <laughs> yeah, on Survivor. Which I mean, the only <laughs> thing that I think maybe that they kept it in is because they wanted you know Big Tom's first line to be like, "Hail, we're going on a safari, not a garden adventure." I mean, that's like the only reason I can think of why they wanted that in there. But it just is so unnecessary necessary that they show these like plants they have that they suppose they're going to, you know, plant and water and all this stuff. OK, they can't even get enough water for themselves to drink. Like, they're going to be watering these plants. Yeah. How many gardens have you successfully grown in 39 days? <laughs> Here's some bulbs that, you know, you can go out there and, and, and see if they'll thrive in 110 degree weather all day. Let's see. Give yeah, it a try. Here's an orange tree. In three years, we'll come back see if you got an orange. Exactly. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking the same thing, Paul, when they pull out all the plants. I'm like, what the hell were they supposed to do with planting crops? Like, I mean, like, maybe a fun idea if it worked out. But, I mean, just cut that out, editors. No need to put that in. I will tell you my favorite moment of the hike in, and I don't know if you guys even caught this. I just noticed it in my rewatch. At one point, you know, uh, it was at Cam asking, Brandon, what's your luxury item? This is Kim Powers, and Brandon's like, uh, I brought chapstick. And Kim's like, chapstick, you rock! And I'm like, someone says rock in the same, in the first episode, just like Australia. It's an homage to Deb. <laughs> that's when Frank gets annoyed that they're, uh, you know, this, we're, not, we're not down at the mall. And I think that's, he, that's lumped into the same like, little segment when uh, Lindsay's talking about her period and yeah. stuff. That's, that's Frank's perception of what goes down at the mall. Uh, I'd say that is a good, a good introduction to Lindsay. The first thing we, we meet about her is that we know she's, she's PMSing right now. No wonder she has <laughs> cramps. <laughs> I got to say, in Lindsay's defense, after Australia came out, 
you know, you, you hear the new cast of the new season trickling in, and Lindsay was by far the first person who was, who was discovered of all the Africa cast. So over at, like, Survivor Sucks and other message boards, people practically knew Lindsay before the season even aired because we'd all seen her audition tape. She was the first name leaked. So it was, it was kind of funny to see that first episode because everyone was already so familiar with her. Yep, and we got a little even more familiar with her, and Tom got really familiar with her. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's later when he slaps her ass. Ticks her ass. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he does slap her at the end. He gets a little something in there. <laughs> I'll right. say, yeah, he does. Yes. Well, I'll say my favorite part of the walk is when uh, Diane just biffs it walking, which is just like, so, <laughs> such foreshadowing to what Diane will bring to the season. You know, she uh, she's walking way ahead of everyone else because her pace is faster than than most people as a U.S. mail carrier. And then she's kind of she's all she's carrying is like one thing of water. She biffs it and starts rolling on the ground. Like, okay, this lady's gonna this lady's gonna go far. I like to point out that, you know, Jay and I noticed very subtle things about the premiere. And 11-year-old Paul, the thing that jumped out was a lady falling there. <laughs> 11-year-old Paul was laughing his ass off at that. <laughs> You're waiting for, like, Tom Bergeron to point out I don't a special think, sound effect. I, mean, I think it was several years later and, and a couple rewatches later until I understood what Lindsay was talking about with the period cramps, tampons. I didn't really get that whole thing as an 11-year-old. Yeah, Lindsay always had a very sophisticated sense of humor that the 11 year old does not get. <laughs> Lindsay like, is an acquired yeah, taste. She's like the George Carlin of Survivor Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the, and, the, and the thing that's funny, I think, I think a big thing that I noticed was that the Baran tribe was going to uh, their camp and their stuff was too heavy, so they dumped out the water. Yeah, you don't need water. Screw it. <laughs> oh, you're like, what are you? I showed this. Uh, my wife had never seen this season until uh, a little bit ago when I rewatched it for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And they started dumping their water jugs out. My wife's like, what the fuck are you doing? At least drink it. Like, yeah. Now, do you remember which two were responsible for dumping the water? Well, Did Kim like Johnson. Kim, well, they, they show Kim Johnson giving like the the rationale for it. Yeah. Well, Kim is mostly leather, so she didn't really need water in her system <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yes, it was Kim and Lex. Kim Johnson yeah. and Lex were the two. Yeah. Well, really got them far in the game. Exactly. See, and that's that's the key to survival: dump out your water. Ah, strategy coming right there. I have to watch out. No spoilers, though. Some people might not have seen Africa. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry I spoiled the show. Years <laughs> also, 9-11 happened, so don't spoil that. Oh, sorry. Damn it. Man. <laughs> One thing that always jumps out at me when I watch Africa, especially the first couple episodes, is how blue Ethan's shirt is. Like, where the hell did he get that shirt? It's like glowing blue. <laughs> it's probably like one of those... Uh... Sports like tech wear kind of things. You know, they they like to make those and just you know eye piercing colors. Yeah, it could be. I don't know, but that's one thing that always jumps out. I, oh yeah, there's Lex, there's Kim. Oh, holy shit, Ethan's shirt. <laughs> that's one thing that my reaction to every time I watch Africa again. Sounds does good. And then they get to their camp, and their camp is 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 a boma. Yeah, very interesting that you know they don't really ever build the shelter in Survivor Africa, so they really are just like lying in the desert of Africa, you know, hiding out from lions. It's a very interesting, you know, habitat that they're in for 39 days. What's funny, yeah, it's like a semicircle, and like there's the one entrance, and they're trapped at the other end with thorns, which if you look up boma in Africa actually means human trap. That's how the lions trap the humans. They chase them into a boma. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and that's how, you know it's, it's how villagers live. You know, they 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 make a a boma. You know, it's it's a it's a certain enclosure made with you know thorns and other thick bramble materials so that lions cannot get in. And you know, I love the note. You get it, they 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 finally get to their camp. They they get dumped out in the middle by scary gun guy. Then they have to lug crap for like five miles through the uh, you know African wilderness. You know, in, in in hot weather, dumping out their water, going to this thing, and then they get to their boma and they get this note going like, "Congratulations, this is your boma. You, you better spruce it up a little bit. There's some holes you need to patch because uh, there's fucking lions." Yeah, <laughs> hurry up and build it, or you will die. Yabba day, yabba do. <laughs> <laughs> Which the soundtrack to Africa? Now that you've seen that, is awesome. I love the soundtrack. Yeah, the, the, every, almost every episode has unique music that was specific for the Africa season. I, Australia did that too. And that's probably the last season they did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know how it goes. But uh, And Kim Powers gives a, a nice interview, kind of like the Kimmy uh, interview, talking about, you know, ah, oh, we finally see our flag. It's a great it's a great thing. And then they start getting work. And uh, Frank's life is good. Life is really good. Frank is such an interesting character. Because I remember at the time when the season aired, nobody liked Frank. Like, I don't remember too many fans thought he was, like, the best character. And now I watch it, and he's hilarious. And I'm like, I don't know how people can not like Frank. Because, like, if you take him at face value, yeah, he's the NRA guy. He's very rigid. He's kind of humorless. He doesn't talk to people. But he's kind of funny. And I always kind of like Frank. When I watch it, the more times I watch it, the more I like Frank. And I, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't a bigger star. Frank is the best. Paul, as, a, as an 11-year-old Paul, were you pro-Frank? Oh, I hated Frank. I mean, but... <laughs> I mean, but I mean, like watching it back now, I mean, he really kind of is like a younger version of Rudy. I mean, that's kind of the yeah. role he plays in it. But for some reason, he just didn't have the the appeal that a Rudy. Maybe he wasn't old enough for it. I mean, maybe Frank plus twenty years is a little more endearing because he's kind of like oh, old crotchety grandpa rather than like old yeah. crotchety dad or old crotchety neighbor <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? I, I think the age was maybe part of it. Ironically, the thing that made you like made made Rudy more popular was saying queer more often. I guess that's the key because yeah, Frank didn't think we're often. In. Yeah, he should have had some more uh, some more uh, problems with the homosexuals. <laughs> I'm sure Frank probably had enough problems with the homosexuals. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know where to go. How do you follow that line? <laughs> I have nothing. By the way, one thing I noticed when I was watching Africa this last time, I think it's uh, Linda, her very first confessional. Paul, of course, you know what her first confessional was, right? Um, oh, oh, I got, let me think here. I, I mean, I, I know the general topic, but I'm trying to picture Linda's first confessional. Um, wait, is her the first one where she's mad at the tribe because they're mocking the, the people of Africa? Yeah, she's mad, and then she goes, she lapses into Mother Africa. Yeah, because, because she's mad. She goes, like, she was really offended when the tribe was walking to get water. They were, you know, laughing about the, the Tambon and uh, Samburu, and she just wanted to tell them that, um, like folk, what she, what she says something about uh, folks. I like. I don't think they get it. We're in Africa. This is where it all started, folks. In folks. Africa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, it. Sets the nice tone to Linda talking about Mother Africa in every fucking confessional the entire season. Linda is great. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to Funny One Fifteen. Look up the. I don't know what number it is, but look up wherever Linda is talking about Mother Africa. It's awesome. Linda is great because the only thing she talks about is how survivors just a spiritual journey and everything from the immunity idol to voting people off. I mean, to anything has to do with uh, Mother Africa. Yes. And anything bad that happens, it's because Mother Africa was displeased because of the discord. Exactly. Because <laughs> then she also, it's not the immunity idol. She, she calls it the idol goddess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Man, we're being so disrespectful here, folks. This is where it all started. I really want to take her, like, let's, if we have to bring back some returning players, or let's do this. Let's take Linda from uh-huh. Survivor Africa, and let's take Joanna from Survivor Amazon. So you have Crazy Christian Joanna versus Spiritual Mother Africa Linda, and they can battle over the idols and, and you know, who's, who's guiding the game? Is it Jesus or is it, you know, Mother Africa? <laughs> I guess what we learned here is that Paul likes the dark meat. <laughs> Once you go dark meat, you never go back. Tune in next time for Survivor Holy War. <laughs> All right. Well, what else happened in episode one? I know the big stuff at the end with the cherries. Anything up that comes before the cherries? Well, I think that the big stomach punch is that we, you know, we get we get off the truck, we get the hike, which obviously shows the harshness of the conditions. We get to our boma where they have to, you know, fix up the boma so that they don't get eaten by lions. So if it isn't, you know, setting in as well, they get to their water hole, which is like the most depressing water hole on planet fucking Earth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a septic, septic it, creek. It, it's like a septic. Well, later on, it's going to get more septic. But you know, it's, it's just literally this like muddy little creek with like three inches of standing water just just standing there and it's just kind of all stagnant and whatever i mean i think Lindsay's just like what the fuck is this <laughs> and to top well, it all and to top it all off they have to be very careful of lions and you can tell they're way more paranoid about it in the beginning because the first time they're there kelly's like hurry up you guys it's not safe here you know by yeah. the end they're like showering and like taking naps <laughs> in it and whatnot but i mean it starts off as a very scary place and, yeah. and not that I'm not that I'm a big survivor guy, but I will or survival guy, uh, big survivor guy. But Big Tom does something really smart. If you notice, you know he, you know their the water, the water hole, you know there's a the little uh, inlet or whatever that kind of goes into the earth where the water is coming out of. And Tom basically they go in there and they dig it out so it gets a little bit deeper so it's easier for them to get water. And it, it's it's like a small little thing that you see him do, but you always notice that Baran, when they went to the water hole, it was way easier. And Samburu really struggled because they didn't try to dig any of it out. They just kind of looked at him and went, ew, gross. I should point out at this point, uh, there's an important scene right there at the water hole where we interview Lex. And Lex says, you know, you have to boil the water because we're basically drinking elephant crap. And the problem if you don't boil the water is you get amoebic dysentery, which means you'll be puking and crapping your guts out. And that's an, that's an important quote. It's kind of a throwaway quote if, if you don't know what happens. But if you follow Africa, that is exactly what happens to Lex in the end of Africa and probably why he loses the game because he gets amoebic dysentery. And when he came home, he was super sick from drinking all the water. So that's actually kind of an important foreshadowing quote in episode one right there from Lex. Got to love it. You and gotta that, love it. that clip was like in every promo leading up to Survivor Africa. Like every commercial had this crazy tattoo guide saying, puking and crapping your guts out. <laughs> See, as for day one, Lex was kind of a beloved figure among Survivor fans, right from there. Yep. <laughs> yep, so much. All right, um, let's see. Uh, you got the Lions. I'm trying to go through my notes here and stuff I've got from episode one. Uh, you get to the, the first immunity challenge here, the one where they have to light the torches and they're pushing the cart around. Which the whole ch- – oh, before we do that, we should mention that oh. Sam Brewer is like, uh, you know, makes fire. And that whole scene I think is really cool, the way they kind of outsmart the producers and they use the little telescope, you know, that, to look out for animals to start the fire, which is just a really awesome scene there. And, you know, continuing with the theme of fire, we have this really fire-driven immunity challenge, which if you watch that immunity challenge, I mean, it just – I mean, probably all the challenges up to date looks like the, the worst one to do. I mean, it's just like – it looks cool. like hell. Like by the time they're at the end and there's like so much smoke and fire and you know it's hot and they're falling down and, and poor Ethan's being launched in front of the, the cart every two seconds and it just looks like a miserable, miserable challenge. 
I love watching that challenge because, like you said, it's just epic. But if you watch that challenge, watch and pay attention to how well the producers time the music to the action. It's really cool if you watch, like, anytime like, Ethan flops over or someone falls down or someone runs into a rock. Like, there's a cue in the music, like a, a cymbal crash. And there's one point in there that I always mention. It's one of my favorite all-time Survivor moments. It's in this challenge. And it's kind of towards the end where Frank is climbing up the ladder and he's going to light the torch. And, like, the minute he lights that torch, the flame shoots up and the, the music just hits this crescendo right at that exact moment. It's one of my all-time favorite editing moments in Survivor. It's really cool. They, they did a good job, you know, putting, putting that uh, thing together. Uh, we'll talk about the editing of the Immunity Challenge uh, probably in Part 2 uh, with Tape Watcher's return. Right. But, um, yeah, it was a really, 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 really brutal challenge, as you said, just, just absolute hell. It's one of those where you don't want to lose it, you know, with all of the, with all of the 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 effort that you put into it. You uh, just you just really felt bad uh, for Baran that just lost it, and they just they just couldn't get it going. Uh, but you know, going back to even to the fire thing, like you know, they are like, well, fire is important because it keeps the animals away at night. Like, what the what the hell? Where are they? Crash. <laughs> There was a legitimate chance they could have been eaten by lions at any point during that season. So, like, it, they kind of needed fire. It was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, that was almost, I mean, Diane just could not keep up. And that sort of, you know, leading into the tribal council thing, just Diane just got absolutely just obliterated at this immunity challenge. Diane's fall this time, not as funny as the first fall. <laughs> but, you know, I was, the... like, was going to say, I will tell you whose falls were funny is that Ethan's. If you watch that yeah. challenge. Watch how many times Ethan just hits a rock and goes flying face first well, into the ground. It's just perfect because he's like, oh, he's like, ah, like he's screaming something, and then just the scream was like cut short as he like 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 lunges forward. My wife made a good point when she saw that. She's like, well, if there's anybody who'd be good at flopping, it's a soccer player. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the best the best reward that Sambu walked away from was not the fire, not immunity. It was that cart. Oh, yeah, the car. I forgot about that. That car was, was important. <laughs> that whole stupid lead up to it. I mean, it's just it's like the order that Jeff says it, it just types so wrong. He's like, winner of this challenge wins fire, wins immunity, and wins this cart, which you can then use to transport wood and water. Everyone's like, oh, water. All right, let's get ready to go. Like the cart produces water from you know it's it's, it's inner boils there it's great yeah like, like they're gonna like they're gonna drag that thing down to the water hole and load that thing up that'll be really it's an immunity challenge every day to get their water they're gonna be really <laughs> they're gonna be really swift running for the lions in that thing that's why ethan didn't want to win he didn't want to be flopping when he was coming back from the water hole <laughs> so yeah of course we'll see Buru wins the cart and of course we all know how samburu dominated the game and won after that so it really was the cart <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, yes. I know Samburu didn't win. All right. So, because of this challenge, you know, the Baran tribe loses. They're going to go to tribal council. And Diane just got, you know, just crushed by this challenge. And uh, they had to get water from their water hole at the end of it. And Diane just couldn't make a journey. And Clarence, Clarence said, I'll stay with you, Diane. Clarence and nothing bad a, happened, right? He's just the nicest young man. I love yeah. that. He's a nice young man. And, uh... You know, they get back, and then uh, they notice that a can of beans have been eaten. You know, what's funny about watching Africa, you know, it took two episodes for Australia to really kind of get nasty with the whole beef jerky incident and everything. 
it only took one episode in Africa. Like, they were at each other's throats because of that cherry incident. And this is only, like, 25 minutes into the first episode. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. It was very uh, fortunate for the producers that they got this kind of drama the first episode because it really kind of launched the season because, you know, it was, it was just kind of a typical season up to that point. But with cherries, there had never been anything like someone stealing food up to that point in Survivor history. So it was really kind of an interesting scene to watch. And even to this day, I think there's kind of a he said, she said over what really happened. I'm not entirely sure anybody's ever 100% answered what happened on that in that scene. Which is just so brilliant, yep. even how the editors do that. You know, they don't show any of that going down. So it's, it totally leaves it up in the air of, uh, you know, who who's in the right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It, it, yeah, you know, and that, and that's strike two because there's there's two food. Incidents. Oh, that's right. There's two. Yeah, you know, early, earlier it was the cherries incident where they opened the can of cherries and the Baran tribes basically it's a, it's a can of cherries and syrup basically, uh-huh. and they're literally just passing the can around a, a a circle and they're each taking a cherry and passing it around, and uh, Ethan notices that Clarence takes two cherries and they have a big powwow about it and you know there's a lot of you know, talk over it, and or maybe it wasn't at that, but, you know, we did get a scene about it. And then when they went to the watering hole and Clarence stayed with Diane, they came back, and basically there was a can of beans missing. And they said to Clarence, they said, hey, what about this can of beans? And Clarence was like, Diane was just out of it. She was struggling. She was weak. I decided I made a decision to feed her the can of beans. And they're like, yeah, but you did that semi-selfishly. It's like, no, I did it for her. She was She was sick. And they were like, yeah, but did you eat some of the beans? Yeah. Okay then, it's a big fucking deal, and you know they had a big. It was a big thing. It was strike two for poor Clarence on day one. I was really really pissed that the guy from Detroit was gonna go home day one. Well, yeah, it's 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 kind of a, the. It's funny if you watch it, you know, Bean Clarence. I, I ate him, but I'm for Diane. She wanted him. It's you know, it kind of dies down, and then Diane just kind of pipes up. I didn't ask for any beans. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're like, fuck you, Clarence. And they all come down on him. <laughs> you ain't no doctor. Yeah. By the way, I, I got to say, I got to point this out because someone will if I don't. It's more than a little uncomfortable watching Big Tom get mad at Clarence and call him boy on several occasions. I'm like, Big Tom kind of gets a pass for being funny because he's like not politically correct and stuff. But man, when he starts, boy, you don't know what you're doing. Like, ooh, Tom, you got to watch that. And he makes the comment about we'll shake man to man, not that jive way. Yeah, it's, Big Tom is not quite as innocent and fuzzy, I think, as people give him credit for. And I don't think he's necessarily like a, a hateful or mean or prejudiced person. It's just probably where he is from and how he was raised. But, yeah, it's, some of the stuff he says is like, whoa, not even Rudy could have got away with saying that. Tom, Tom's an interesting one. I think that Tom – you can make a case for Tom that his stock improves – through all stars versus you know a lot of you know other people whose stock fall and yeah. going on Survivor All Stars and and you know he was a big character and and he was more like hated by the end of Africa. I'm not gonna uh-huh. sit here and say that Tom was some villain or something blah blah blah. But you're right. There's a lot of rough edges to Tom and it's it's very apparent in that first episode. His you know getting really angry at Clarence and hey rightfully so if they took food and you know especially in Africa where you can't hunt the wild animals you can't you know uh-huh. you, you really just are subsisting on the cornmeal and the cans that you took into at the beginning so like i understand the big deal and i understand the the iron clarence for just opening a can of food i understand the whole rationing thing but man tom really does lay into him and lays into him in semi-uncomfortable way and it's just not it's not a good it's not really fun viewing for all that you're like this hillbilly is just tearing into this guy it's not good well yeah then he says he would shoot him if he could i'm like okay tom let's just stop right now Yeah, it's funny because I don't think a lot of people remember that side of Tom, that he, he had a temper and he really was kind of rough around the edges, like you said. 
Yeah, you know, a lot of these older characters, you know, especially ones that make all-stars, people know, like, ah, oh, Big Tom, he's so lovable, everyone loves Big Tom. It's like, well, it took us a while to love Big Tom. We didn't love Big Tom right at the beginning. Yeah, he was kind of an ass that first episode, although, I mean, justifiably, he was mad at Clarence, and I would have been mad at Clarence, too. But, yeah, just, uh, the way he came down on him was very uncomfortable to see. And then yeah, we go to right tribal council. Oh, I was gonna say, and then we go to tribal council, and, and uh, with no suspense, Diane's voted out. Yeah, yeah. Just like well, the, okay, peak, look, the, look. the peak of that episode is definitely the, uh, the that whole bean incident. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, what do you think happened with Clarence and Diane? I'm curious because, like I said, I've heard multiple sides of the story. I've talked to Diane. I, I know her side of the story. I'm just curious. What do you think really happened? I think it's somewhere kind of in the middle, kind of a gray area. I think, I mean, probably, I, I think, I personally, I would think it was Clarence, Clarence's idea um, to eat the beans, and then he offered to Diane, she said sure, and so they ate the beans. So I think I think both hands are guilty in it. You can't come down on either one, because obviously they both ate the beans. But you, Jay? Yeah, I think the same thing. Uh, to me, it, it's... Ultimately, and if I were out there, and I don't ever like to say, oh, if I were out there, because I have no desire to be out there. <laughs> but if I were, you know, the important thing is that the can was eaten, you know, and, and you know, Diane, I didn't ask for the beans. And, and, you know, Clarence did say, like, I made a decision to feed her with some uh-huh. beans. And to me, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, he was looking out for her. She probably was just not very non-responsive and you know, just there, low energy fainting, you know, and, and and I think that a lot of people with compassion just look at that and go, I have to do something. I, I need to do something. And so he opened the beans and, you know, she probably felt a little better if she had a couple spoonfuls of beans. And then, you know, she's probably like, yeah, I have some, you know, they're open. And yeah, I, I don't know, who knows? But uh, the important thing, if you come back and, and, and that the beans are gone is that the beans are gone. That's what's important. And that's, I think that Lex's sentiments, the whole we're pissed off and we're, you know, blah, blah. I think that is probably how I would have felt. Yeah, it's funny. You watch that scene and you see the, the cherries thing before it and you think, well, Clarence is just a chow hound. And so, like, at first glance, I just always thought Clarence was guilty. But the more you watch how pissed off Clarence is at Diane for selling him out and like he's pissed off at her at tribal council, you know, you're nothing like my mother. Like, I think she had to have some guilt in there, too. In fact, anytime we watch that episode, my wife always kind of pipes up. She's like, I don't trust Diane. I don't like the way she just looks and the way she says stuff. So I don't know. It's just kind of shady all around. I think, like you said, both both parties are probably guilty. So we get this super authentic-looking tribal council set. And I think the thing that I noticed the most, because this is, you know, people are wearing their buffs and, and stuff like that in tribal council. I didn't know that there was a Reebok tribe. <laughs> Yeah, the Reebok tribe, that was they were the powerhouse tribe for the first couple seasons. They were in every season. It's like really big on those Africa buffs. Like they go up there and it's like, holy shit, Reebok. <laughs> well, you think they should have picked bigger people than Kim Powers because then it's smaller little Reebok. If they had a big, taller person, you'd see more of it. True. It's just bad true. planning. So, yeah, I mean, so yeah, once we get rid of, you know, we get rid of Diane in the first episode, but in essence, we get rid of Clarence too because, like you said, he never recovers. At no point does he have a presence in that season after the first episode. And I don't know if it was a conscious effort, like the Baran, Baran Alliance kind of formed together and tried to push out the powerhouse, or if they really just didn't trust him and he was never a part of the tribe after that. But yeah, it was. it's really the, the only episode, the only premiere of any season where you kind of lose two people. You lose Diane and you lose Clarence because he's done. He's just on borrowed time the entire rest of the season. We only have him for comedic purposes. Of course. And I know a young 11-year-old Jay Fisher was crushed. 
<laughs> Eleven years old. Don't 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 young me too much. <laughs> no, I think you know just what we said. It really was. Uh, it could have easily just been a you know pretty boring boring first episode had we not had that you know that big drama because otherwise the whole episode would have just been focused on just survival. And I guess you could argue that the whole Diane you know Clarence thing came down to a matter of survival because he's eating the food. But I mean that's what really starts kind of the the social politics of of Survivor Africa was that I remember right after the premiere, they had, uh, I think it was on E the, the E network. They had this big Survivor special. They had it leading up to the premiere. Then right after the premiere and they had, I mean, pretty much all, both casts of Survivor Borneo and, and Australia. I mean, this was even so long ago that even Elizabeth was, uh, you know, wasn't too cool to show up to this thing. And I remember they, you know, talked to all of them and they were all excited for it. And I mean, it was, I mean, it, it went down a lot, but you still have to remember that it was still 20 plus million people and it still, you know, had a big presence in uh you know in in the media and whatnot so you couldn't you couldn't completely get rid of survivor i want to point out before we leave uh that everyone should watch that first immunity challenge just for the brutalness of it uh for tape watcher stuff that we'll get to later but a lot of people who watch survivors say wow that you know they're so good at all that sort of stuff and something that people say is that you know you never really see the camera people and all those sorts of things they're underwater they're this that that first immunity challenge in africa Boy, the camera people are in camouflage, but you know when you're out there in the middle of you know an African, uh, you know flatland out there, it is really hard to hide. You can see a lot of disguised camera people if you watch that first immunity challenge. Yeah, it's really funny. There's in particular what Jay's talking about is just pay attention to the foreground of some of the shots. You'll see the back of a cameraman wearing camouflage, and you don't see him all the time, but every so often they'll move. Just the, the slightest little bit can tell, oh, that's, it's one of the few challenges in Survivor history where you actually catch a cameraman. And with that, I believe we are done with the premiere of Survivor Africa, which is funny. We spent an entire hour talking about Survivor. We talked about a full episode, maybe the, the most important episode or one of the most important episodes. And not at any point did we mention the Samburu split between the elders and the youngsters. <laughs> no, but it, it's an important split to go. And I think that, you know, the reason why I, I always want people to watch these early seasons of Survivor is not only are they good, not only just fantastic television, but I think that this is you know, more than old and young, even more than men and women, even more than, you know, regions in the United States. I think that this is the establishment of, you know, kind of the two factions in Survivor. It's people who, you know, usually work or have a work ethic versus people who don't. And a lot of times, and especially in Africa, it really kind of went down to age lines a lot of the ways. Yeah, episode two is where that really pops up. I think episode two, if I recall, is the one where the elders are starting to uh, sweat to try to woo Silas on Samburu. You got the Teresa, you got Linda, Frank, and Carl, and they're all trying to put Silas in, and Silas is like giving his gladiator spiel, you know, strength and honor, baby, strength and honor. And that's really kind of the, the turning point in the season for the Samburus, because that's kind of where it all starts. That's what, as Tina would say, this is where the game really begins. Right. Episode two is interesting because it's all, it's like a kind of a transition episode because, you know, we still kind of deal with a lot of things at Baron, you know, we're still kind of mad at Clarence for what he did. We taught him a lesson with the votes, you know, and, and then it kind of, you know, we, we were still trying to make that team stronger, um, you know, following the Diane vote. And then the other at the same time, you know, there's this build up to, uh, you know, to uh, the Samburu tribe about where science is going to fall. And it isn't until episode three, right at the beginning where they lay it out, Kate, uh, Silas is for sure with the younger people. You go through that whole, like, second episode not knowing for sure where Silas is going to go. So that episode two kind of is is closing the, the in- introduction to Baran and really opening the door for all of the drama that's going to go down on at uh, Samburu. 
there's a great scene in episode two that I've always loved where Frank is trying to kind of woo Silas, and they're talking like Frank is kind of pulls Silas aside and talking about how Silas is going to join the Elder Alliance, and Frank's talking like super loud. He's not trying to whisper or anything. And Lindsay just kind of walks by in the background, and Frank's trying to woo Silas, not even hiding what he's doing. And there's there's confessional, like, two seconds later, Frank's like, yeah, somehow Lindsay found out. I'm like, well, she was fucking right next to you when you were talking. <laughs> he was like, he's like, somehow she found out we got sloppy or something. <laughs> she was right next to you. And it's great, because Silas kind of shushes him. He's like, you got to be quiet to her. Frank's like, huh? Yeah, he's yeah. like, Lindsay was standing right there. <laughs> I love that scene, yeah. That's the thing. A lot of people think Africa is kind of a humorless season, but there's a lot of little funny moments in those, especially the early episodes. It's, this is, it cracks me up watching Africa. Just some of the characters involved, like having Frank and Brandon and Silas on the same try. Like, who? When would those three ever interact with one another in real life? Samburu tribe was a mess. I love that tribe like a lot. <laughs> you got Lindsay and uh, and Silas, and you got Frank, and you know Carl is 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 cantankerous as well. And, uh, you know, Teresa's just watching it all. It, it's a really, really fun tribe. Well, it's funny because, you know, you have the crazy younger ones. You got Brandon, you got uh, Lindsay, and stuff. But you also have the crazy older ones. You got Frank and you got Linda. So it's great. You got crazy all around. Yes, a smattering of crazy. In fact, I've heard some trivia about that season. This is something uh, I don't 100% have proof that this is true, but this is something a few people have told me over the years, that when they originally cast the game, they had Teresa on Baran instead of Diane. Diane was supposed to be on Samburu. And someone told me the producers were really worried because they were almost positive that Samburu was going to fall apart and split because all the personalities were so different. And there was this elder, young, older, younger kind of dichotomy. So they were pretty sure Baran was going to run the game. And they didn't want Teresa to win because she was too much like Tina. She was a southern flight attendant. I think they were almost the same age. And a lot of people forget Tina was a flight attendant at one point, too, just like Teresa. And I think I remember hearing the producers were concerned that if another Southern flight attendant won, it was going to be bad for the franchise because they wanted to mix it up. So what I've been told is at the last minute, they they switched Diane to the Borans and Teresa over to the Samburus. Basically, they kind of penalized Teresa because just by looking at her bio and knowing her background, she had a decent chance to win on paper just because of who she is. And this is always something I thought was kind of juicy about Africa. And again, I, I can't prove this is true. I've heard people mention this, that at the last minute, Diane and Teresa were switched, and that's, that's the story I've always heard. It lends credence to uh, just the thought that, you know, sometimes you can, you can be smart, you can be affable, you could be strong, you could be survival-minded. I mean, you, you, you can have all of the innate tools needed to win Survivor, go out there, you know, last, keep your body and your strength up, and, you know, gain friends enough to get to vote the to, them to vote you the million dollars, but sometimes you're just you're stuck with people who won't work with you, or you're stuck with people who have a different opinion. You know, some, it's a lot of luck. It's not even just uh, uh, what season you're on, what tribe you're on, uh, where it is, what needs to be done. I mean, there's so many factors that are just way out of your control sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. There was almost nothing Teresa could have done in that season to win. Everything that kind of happened around her just kind of happened without her being a part of it. And she really played things as well as she could. But yeah, like you said, sometimes there's just, I mean, shit happens. There's not much you can do. And I think that's, I mean, Teresa is just one on a long list of many people that probably played about as well as they could have. And just because of circumstances that they were doomed not to win. Teresa's awesome. I love Teresa. 
I loved her. Yeah, Teresa was one of my favorite. When, she, when I used to write for Survivor Central, she was one of the first survivors that ever wrote to me. Used to say, "Oh, I love your stuff. I love your column." Just would provide me uh, feedback and just kind of a motivation to keep going, just so you knew people were reading your stuff. So I loved her. I've had a lot of good interactions with Teresa over the years, and I've never heard anybody say anything bad about her. Wait, you mean you liked the middle-aged Southern flight attendant? Yeah, funny how that works, huh? Didn't have implants, You, you have a type. Yeah, funny, but Tina wouldn't return my calls, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, aside from me having the hot for all uh, middle-aged flight attendants, and, you know, if we have listeners out there, feel free to send in pictures. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, that I think uh, most of us remember about episode two of uh, Africa is Jesse's gross chapped lips. <laughs> We get funny, a you know, good close-up on those babies, too. I know. It's like, hey, let's take our most popular survivor ever, 96% popularity, and let's zoom in on her herpy lips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always funny. I remember that episode. They just zoom right in, and then you could just hear across America all the remaining survivor viewers saying, ew. Yeah, a rough, a rough episode for uh, Jesse Camacho. We also get some nice puking shots between her legs yeah. and whatnot, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the throw-up shots are good, too. Yeah, you know, once they got their episode one, they go, okay, this chick is going home anyway. We don't have to keep up the image that she's this hot chick. Let's just, uh, let's send her out in, uh, in good Survivor style. Yeah, it's funny, I and mean, she still kept that 96% popularity, too. So, you know, some the girl's a Survivor. She somehow prevails. Well, getting back to the humor of Survivor, there's another part where Paul laughed his ass off was uh, Kim Johnson falling in the second immunity challenge, <laughs> or the, the first reward challenge of episode two. So we know what kills in the Oslofsson household is older women falling. <laughs> older women taking a tumble gets me every time. Boy, Bob Saget must be like a huge, huge shrine celebrity in the Oslofsson house. What happens is they take their grandma to like a water slide park and he just goes crazy and laughing fast. <laughs> <laughs> like watching Napoleon and Bill and Ted going down the slide and Paul's laughing at the top. Waterloo! <laughs> uh, let's try to think of other stuff I remember from episode two. I remember... You know, Lindsay is concerned that Silas is is, uh, is joining with the old people. She comes up and she, like, confronts him on it. And I think it was at that moment that I learned that Lindsay is a close talker, just like in Seinfeld, that she's literally, like, two inches from Silas's face. Is that the line where she's like, are you telling this to everyone? Yeah, and then Silas just kind of smirks in a Silas she's way. She's like, no, no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, so Lindsay's a close talker. So uh, in spite, uh, despite all her other annoying traits, you know, and... We're going to get to this more later that she was arguably almost as hated as Jerry just because she was annoying. But, yeah, on top of all that, Lindsay is also a close talker. She'll get right in your face if she's talking to you. Yep. But I think the highlight of the second episode, I think that Paul hit it on the, on the head. I think the, the second episode is, you know, talking more about fixing Baran and, and setting up the, the split in Samburu, the older and younger, the workers versus the non-workers with Silas torn in the middle as the hero Silas is. But... <laughs> We get to the end of the episode with the holy shit gross food challenge. Oh, yeah. And I got to say one thing I just noticed when I was watching the episode is how much more game savvy like the players are by season three as opposed to one two. Remember, they get the tree mail for the uh, blood challenge. And Kelly Goldsmith is like, oh, it's the gross food challenge. Yay. Like they know the template of what Survivor is supposed to be. So it's kind of funny that they're just more savvy. They're TV savvy at that point. They know what's coming. Yep. So then we get there. It's the Dabu Bar, right? Yeah. And then uh, Jeff Jeff is there, and he's like, "This is this is my friend Charles. He's a Maasai warrior. <laughs> yeah, Charles, ancient African name. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Charles comes out in full regalia with two guys and they bring out this cow and you're like, okay, this is weird. And then they shoot the cow in the neck and blood comes out and then they fill up a big carafe of blood. That was a great scene. Like, if I can think of just scenes that are of, of, of epic scenes that mean Survivor to me, like taking that blood out of the cow's neck and drinking it, that's about as gnarly as it ever got on Survivor. That was really cool. <laughs> I mean, it took, I mean, I was, uh, I've always run a little bit queasy with, uh, you know, things blood related and, and whatnot. It, it took me a while to be, actually be able to watch that, that scene without having any kind of reaction to it. It was pretty, uh, intense television, especially for the time. What I remember about that scene is, you know, they, they say, okay, we're going to be drinking blood and the players are like, yeah. And then Jeff says, but I'll mix in a little milk. And they're like, ew. And I'm like, <laughs> how is that more gross than pure blood? <laughs> I always remember that. Everyone just freaks out when the milk is introduced. I'm like, milk is the good part of that equation. <laughs> milk, is a, milk is a weird uh, drink as it is because sometimes if you add milk to something, it changes the taste of it yeah. significantly. And, and sometimes you can add milk to something and you don't even notice it's there. So I wonder what that, what, <coughs> excuse me, I wonder what that was like. They must have been concerned about the extra calories. <laughs> yes. I, I think Kim Johnson, she was lactose intolerant, yeah. Well, I didn't like the challenge because no one tripped on the way up to go drink. <laughs> if only Linda had fallen down and said, really oh, fucking really, Mother Africa. <laughs> I, I was really hoping when they pick her up after they win, I was really hoping they drop her or something. <laughs> they didn't give me anything. They throw her to the ground. But yeah, that, when people ask what's my all-time favorite gross food challenge, without hesitation, I would say, well, Africa. Because Africa was, it was memorable. It was gross. But at the same time, that really wasn't unhealthy. Like, that was probably the most nutritious thing they ate the entire season. Like, you get some blood in you, you get some energy in you. Like, I bet it probably wasn't that bad to drink. It was super nutritious. And the other thing about it, and I think the big letdown of it, is that it was so memorable and so great and so authentic and so everything. Yet at the same time, everybody drank the blood. Yeah, see, no one really even seemed to have a hard time with it. No. So it couldn't have been that hard. Just Kelly, even though she knows how to chug a damn beer. <laughs> we got, She got... Yeah. And then, of course, you get the, the famous last image of Linda winning. You know, she dumps the, the glass down. She sticks out her tongue. She looks like a vampire because she's got blood coming down her face. <laughs> and she's got those crazy eyes, the crazy Linda eyes. She was, it's just a very memorable shot. She was uh, possessed by Mother Africa in that one. <laughs> she was. Like, you know, there's crazy and then there's Linda drinking blood crazy. That's a whole different <laughs> level of crazy at that point. <laughs> And then the, and then Kelly takes like one big gulp to kind of prove herself, and then it's like, uh, never mind, spits it out. Yeah, but I, I just love that. That's the thing. When I think of Africa, that's one of the challenges that always jumps out. And I'm always kind of amazed they never did that again. Uh, we had a couple readers ask, what was the the reader the the fan reaction to drinking the blood? Were people grossed out by that? Were there you know PETA protests? And I really don't think there was much of an outcry at all. I don't remember. I mean, Survivor had kind of lost a lot of its say as, as the show that everybody in america was watching so it, i don't remember the blood scene really raising much of a stink among most people it was well, just kind of yeah that was kind of gross i do know that it made rosie o'donnell quit watching survivor africa so oh all right Th- thank, god. Yeah. thank god thank <laughs> god she was back to do the, th- go thank god she was back on board in uh in marquesas yeah that was quite a little protest she lasted a full season <laughs> good job rosie <laughs> A lot of people look at things, you know, especially in African culture, you know, uh, I think America is very blissfully ignorant of a lot of African culture. So, you know, Jeff comes out and says, yeah, this is what these guys eat and drink every day. They just drink this blood milk mixture and that's what they subsist on. And that's what we're going to drink here. And I bet you most of America is just kind of like, oh, okay. 
Okay. This is the uh, this is the national dish of the country of Africa. <laughs> the country, yes. Mm, okay. Mm, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, do they eat it in the capital? <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, there's many metropolitan cities, colleges, and stuff in Africa. But no, according to Survivor, they just do this every day, and they you know walk around with bones through their noses and throw spears. This is Africa. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was a great episode, and then we lose. Uh, I guess Kelly loses it for the. Baron's there, and then we lose the 96% popularity, the most beloved survivor in survivor history, Jesse. I think the only thing to really note about Jesse's leaving, other than it was anticlimactic and not really of much note, is that, you know, her last words, she has, you know, big love for Tom. Yeah, that's something I always notice, and I remember in my column when I wrote it that week, I'm like, why the hell does she have the hots for Tom? Like, well, how come we never saw even a hint at this story? What, what was going on? And I... I think I read an interview. Jesse said, oh, I just wanted to tell Tom he was like a dad to me and he looked out for me. But the way it shows up in the episode, it sounds like she's pining for him. Hey, you know, maybe maybe go farmers get Orlando deputies hot. You never know. <laughs> yeah, she's got a type. What's funny about Jesse is that after uh, Africa aired, I kind of used her in one of my survivor stories. I wrote a story called Survivor Greece. And in the story, I decided Jesse would be like a sex pilot. She'd kind of use her looks to seduce men and kind of wrap them around her finger and she'd kind of have like play to the cameras and stuff. She'd kind of be a vixen. I figured if she played a second time, she'd be like that. You should have seen all the hate mail I got from people when I wrote Jesse like that saying, she is a sheriff. How dare you, sir, say that a police officer would have be that kind of a skank on TV and would act like that. Like I got all these emails from people that were horrified that I'd treat Jesse like, you know, uh, a professional reality show contestant. And then I had to laugh because, like, two years later, Jesse was on, like, some Spanish version of Big Brother, and she was exactly like I wrote her in the story. She, like, twirled men around her fingers. She was, like, the little sex vixen, and it was funny that that's exactly what I predicted she'd be like. Mario is the 4%. Exactly. I, I, I was 96. I was, I was, was pro-Jesse. Except for the lips. The lips were not cool. <clears throat> uh, one thing I have in my notes here for episode two, I kind of wrote it as I was watching. I said, I wrote... One thing I noticed is that Africa doesn't have the same epic feel that Australia did. It just isn't as big as Australia was, just from in terms of production standpoint, music and fun, and just like a TV spectacle. And I really noticed it as I was watching this last rewatch, especially towards the end of episode two. It's, it feels very raw. It's like there's not a lot of fun going on in the season. It's, it doesn't feel like it's a big TV production. It feels like they just stuck a camera out there and filmed these people surviving in a, this shithole of a, of a continent. <laughs> almost said country. But yeah, I noticed that when I was watching it. Australia seems big and fun and TV friendly and and overproduced and stuff. And Africa doesn't feel like that at all. It's a big difference when you watch them back to back. I think that I think that some of that just goes with the environment that they were in. You know, uh, you really couldn't venture out super far in all of that stuff in Africa and and around where their bomas were. There wasn't a lot of change in vegetation or this that and the other thing. You know, in, in Australia they had a little bit more. Uh, diversity in the uh in the landscape and 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 just where they can walk around and go and things like that and so they could set up these confessionals where mike's on a rowboat or like in between a hollowed out tree or yeah. something really really visually interesting where africa is like well we've got ground <laughs> and uh yeah ground. in australia they could jump off cliffs they didn't really have that opportunity uh, it, it's funny, one thing, another thing I have in my notes here that, you know, you think back to Africa, you think, you know, Boran dominated Samburu, they fell apart, they fought, they didn't get along, and it was like, people remember Africa as kind of being a dominant alliance that the Boran threw in the game. 
If you go back and watch Africa, you'll notice the Samburus win the first three challenges. It's funny, it's not as big as a slaughter as you think it was. Samburu was right in it for the first two episodes. In fact, they were dominating. I mean, you lose Jesse, you lose uh, Diane. I mean, Samburu's up eight to six here. Yep. I think a lot of people kind of forget that Samburu was not as bad a tribe as you think they were. Ah, Samburu did okay. Um, you know, and especially in these these sort of uh, uh, challenges where there's a little bit of physical exertion, uh, Samburu is kicking their ass. They had to do a non-physically exerting challenge to sort of get uh, <laughs> to get Baran on the board. Yep. Well, I guess the I guess Baran takes the the reward challenge too in episode three, which was pretty physical. So there is that. Was that the rock? Rock. Yeah, rocks. All right, so we're getting up episode three here. Episode three is uh, famous for a couple things. This is the famous uh, elder youngster split in Samburu, and this is the one where Linda really starts Mother Africaing. She she must. I think she references Mother Africa like six times in the one episode. She had to do something to distract everyone from Carl saying, yeah, I own multiple big cars and I'm super rich. You know what's funny, though? I was just thinking about that. When you, when you watch that scene with Carl bragging about his stuff, he's not really bragging. It's Silas baiting him. Silas is the one totally goading him and talking about it, and Carl doesn't want to do it. So, I mean, as much as Carl's reputation was he was a braggart, if you watch the episode, it really doesn't back up kind of what his reputation was. I don't think he was as bad as people kind of give him credit for. No, they all, like, I mean, they show those scenes where they're just, like, pressing him, pressing for it. Like, oh, come on, tell us. What kind? What kind? What kind? Is it a Porsche? Is it a Porsche? Yeah. But yeah, well, I got one of those. <laughs> and he should have followed up with, I mean, Matchbox car Porsche. <laughs> yes. Don't you have one of those? I, I own Matchbox cars. Well, I, I like can't... to race them on the little track. I'm a landscaper, not an NFL quarterback. <laughs> well, I can't remember. Is it two or three that uh, episode two or three that uh, Frank lets us know that uh, Linda's so concrete she's buried in the bottom of the Hoover Dam? That's two when they're trying to woo Silas. Okay, okay. Yeah. I like when Frank just busted. He just busted out a, an epic quote that really doesn't make a lot of sense. It kind of does, but it's not the way that a normal human would say it. <laughs> so that's how I always think of Frank, that... Linda is very solid, and then he'll follow it up with a little uh, metaphor or analogy that really isn't something that you have to say, but he just does it because he's frank. Linda's so concrete, if you mix her with water, she'll harden in four days. <laughs> <laughs> frank. Episode three. Episode three is the one that opens with uh, Clarence and Kelly are on guard duty at night, and all the lions are outside their boma, kind of stalking them. Yeah. That is a creepy scene, and I, I remember a lot of the time, at the time when that episode aired, I remember a lot of kind of skeptics on the message boards would say like, oh, yeah, yeah, like like it was really like that in Africa. They probably edited it to make it look like the lions were there. But I don't know. You watch that scene. They're scared shitless. Like, I had to think the lions were probably about 20 feet away from them on the other side of those thorns, which if you've ever seen thorns, they're not that thick, to be honest. It is probably super scary. I mean, I, I can't even fathom. It was so scary. I think at one point, Kim Johnson fell down. <laughs> And Paul laughed. Oh, look at that. Paul muted his, audio, his microphone so I couldn't hear him laugh at that. Sorry, I was bastard. laughing so hard I had to, had I to mute myself there. Fucking Montana technology. <laughs> Let's see what else happens in episode three. I'm trying to go through my notes here before we get up to the split. Ooh, uh, ooh, ooh, before yeah. we get to um, Lindsay thinks it's a great idea. She, she's going to do a, a, a morale boost, and so Lindsay takes some of her beaded necklace uh, or, or beaded thing because it fell apart and she made little necklaces, but she made uh, necklaces for herself and for Brandon and for Kim Powers and for Silas. 
Oh, just for her friends. Don't worry. Uh, sixth grade Paul was very offended, too, when she said, like, little kids in fifth grade. I was very oh. offended that that was just me one year ago, and I was very upset that that's what she was equating it to. See, now I know why Lindsay was so hated across America. It was mostly the sixth graders. She was very... Zero percent popularity among sixth grade boys in America. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, yeah, that was the one where Lindsay... You know, Lindsay makes the beads for her friends, and then wasn't it where Brandon will only make food for the younger people while well, the older people are all out gathering water? And they're just talking smack about the old people. And I just have it in my notes here. I'm like, man, the younger people are obnoxious. It's like a lot of people, I mean, that was the thing at the time. Most of America hated the younger people of Samburu. And I always thought, was that just editing? Like, Jerry wasn't that bad, but people just kind of jumped onto the bandwagon because she was kind of obnoxious. But I'm watching Africa now. I'm like, it really, they really were annoying. That wasn't even editing. I hate them even now watching it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it just goes to show you. I mean, there was, there was Brandon. I mean, he literally cooked food for just a couple people, and they were like, eat it quick before they get back. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I mean, that, that's shady shit right there. That's, a, that's worse than Clarence. At least yeah. Clarence, Clarence was just hungry. Like he even said, I'm bigger. I'm an athlete. I weigh more. I need more food. And he was right. He's not trying to be selfish. I just think he's hungry. Yeah, it's a dick move. Where'd it go? Exactly. Brandon, we're, we're, we're on to you now, Brandon. We're coming out on you. Calling you out. He's not, he's not answering. I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of this. I, I, I don't know if we have much teeth behind this one. <clears throat> okay, well, this goes. So then they get, to the, they get to the reward challenge where they have to roll the big boulder. That's fun. They roll rocks. And a great scene when uh, Kelly and Kim get taken out by the boulder and fall into the bush. Yeah, funny that Paul likes the part where the old woman <laughs> falls down. Loved yeah. it. It's a great scene where they hurl T-Bird off a cliff. <laughs> I'll even take it that Kelly went with her. She's not even old. She's old now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that, I love that boulder scene. Because you're right, there's some legitimate laugh-out-loud moments, some like a... Uh, MXC most extreme elimination challenge where they just totally just get wiped out when a boulder hits them in the face. Well, I think I think we're getting at a point here is that Africa is really flipping funny, but it's kind of like a brutal funny. It is. It's like yeah, it's, it's like a, a harsh, harsh funny. funny. Yeah. How? Like, <laughs> yeah, and then like, it, people are falling, and you know, people are saying extremely rude things about other people. Like it's just real harsh funny. Exactly. We've got it. We're not into the public humor anymore, which is funny since he thought this was hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. So then they, they, the Boron wins, and they win water. That's freaking amazing to me. I got to say, out of all the rewards I've ever seen on Survivor, that's one of my all-time favorites, the 100 gallons of fresh water. Like, are you shitting me? You're just going to give us water? Like, in Africa, that was such an advantage. But he did give them yeah. some shampoo if they wanted to waste it, washing with that. Yeah, didn't he say that, too? He's like, if you want to, you know, waste yeah, it. Yeah, it's kind of like a throwaway comment, like, in here's some shampoo if you want to waste it on that. Yeah, if Kim wants to, like, douche with it or something. <laughs> Well, they didn't play it up because it was just, he's like, it's just this organic shampoo. I think it's just something they got locally, you know, <laughs> if, it was, if, it was, if it was head and shoulders or, or yeah. something like that. I mean, we, we, we would have seen some shots, man. Yeah, we know that wasn't Reebok shampoo. No. <laughs> and not yeah, that brought was... to us by the good people at Target. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I always wondered, do you think Baran came back and won that season because of that water challenge? I mean, just think of how much less work they had to do every day and not haul water anymore. No, they did haul water for a time. They, they, they were, I think they rationed their water out so that they uh -huh. get it sometimes. But still, just the fact that you know, they have just a supply of water and get it at some point or, you know, on challenge days not have to go get water or something. I mean, that's ridiculously huge. One thing I have to point out that I just noticed when I was watching episode three, 
And like three points during the episode, there's a little like a dust devil, a sandstorm, a little twister that kind of comes through the camp and, and blows stuff around. And it's funny if you notice that, and if you pay attention, I, I don't know, they probably cut all this out of the episodes now, but at the time, the sponsor of Survivor 3 was Pepsi Twist, which was the new Pepsi drink. And if you pay attention to the sponsor, Pepsi Twist, and all the twisters going through camp, there's a ton of foreshadowing, especially in episode three, that there is going to be a twist in this season. And it's something I didn't even catch until like my fifth or sixth time I watched the season. I'm like, holy shit, there's twister imagery all over this season. I mean, they should have done that more in episode like five. Like Jeff could, the, the, if it was the first Survivor twist, why couldn't it have been the Survivor Pepsi twist? <laughs> that would have been awesome. They could have thrown in more, like even more foreshadowing. In episode four, they have to dance the twist, and then some phone flies over and judges who's dancing the best twist. Whatever. Whatever. You have some donuts here, you have a twist. Well, and we do get the SOS challenge. This is the infamous SOS challenge, and we're going to get into all the hilarity because it is funny all the way. But I do want to bring in as well. It's this whole uh, the SOS challenge, and one of the reasons why Baran wins this challenge is because they, you know, they they have these painted tarps that they uh, or mosquito nets that they put down on the on the ground because Kim Johnson's luxury item was a whole bunch of paints, like ringer. Yeah, exactly. And then well, then she also running around, you know. The, the iconic shot of Kim Johnson running in a thong, where, of course, the cameraman's going to zoom in as close as he can behind where you see her 60-year-old ass. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and Clarence is in his tidy whities and Tom's got a feather in his ass. Yeah, that's the, the greatest is Tom's line because it's so matter-of-fact. Oh, I'm going to do this paint, I'm going to do this, and then Tom's like, I'm going to have a feather in my ass. <laughs> like, how does that help the plane see us, Tom? <laughs> if they don't stop that pilot, I don't want to talk to that pilot. <laughs> Yes, but that, yeah, that's, and it's funny, they don't do those SOS challenges anymore, but I always kind of like them because they're funny. I mean, yeah, they weren't really fair. It was, for the most part, a way for the producers to kind of influence the game and let a non-athletic tribe kind of win a challenge, which you can see they did it in in seasons one. Did they do one and two? Did they do an SOS challenge? Yes, one and three, and then four also. That's how the the, the Maradamas come back. But yeah, they, those, 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 Challenges aren't really in the spirit of Survivor, and I don't, nobody really loves them, but they're always fun to watch, and the Africa one's probably the best with the, I, I hate to say, Kim's flabby naked ass being a, a highlight, but it is, and then you got Tom, and it's just a funny challenge. Well, and it's great on the other side, because you're going to see Barbie go down in Africa. <laughs> Barbie goes down in Africa. That's right, another person falling. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Paul loves horror movies, because women are always running and falling. <laughs> Well, it's, just, it's, it's so funny, though. I mean, granted the fact this woman's in a lot of pain, but it's just funny the way, you know, Lindsay, who's just, you know... I, we have a great confessional from Linda, who it's surprisingly nothing to do with Mother Africa, you know, has points at the fact that, you know, everything Lindsay says about how strong she is, she's the strongest person that she knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not so strong. <laughs> Very cutting. Yeah, from a guidance counselor at a college. The way to go. <laughs> way to rip down the self-esteem, Linda. A lot of people don't seem to remember that, that Linda was indeed a career-slash-guidance counselor at some, uh, was it a high school in Harvard. Cambridge? No, she's Oh, Harvard. she was at Harvard? Wow, so she was a guidance counselor at Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it took it took a guidance counselor at Harvard, Harvard to point out the fact that the reason why Samburu lost the challenge was not because they took, you know, the rest of the brush mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and a rearranged the brush and, and couldn't figure out why they weren't noticed by the plane, but because there was discontent and, <laughs> and uh, you know... The idle spirits knew that. Yeah, exactly. Like Paul said, Linda has this whole great confessional where she doesn't mention Mother Africa or anything crazy or anything with the idol goddess. And then the Samburus lose the challenge, and the first words out of Linda's mouth, 
our idol goddess left us. She went to find peace. I'm like, she shut went up. To find some peace. <laughs> I believe I that. I believe yeah, I believe that. it. She truly did. Yes. And then, of course, we get the famous showdown: the elders versus the youngsters, where you have all the youngsters voting for Doc Carl and all the elders voting for Lindsay. And in a perfect world, with the way the editing is going, with the youngsters just being shown as total brats, little shits, like that don't know how to do anything, they have no work ethic. For some odd reason, Lindsay wins the tiebreaker. Wow, it's, I mean, it's such a, a turning point in the whole thing. I mean, you kind of know it's going to go into a tie, just the way everything is kind of set up. I mean, yeah. I think Kim Powers has the interview where she says, like, a lot of us are, like, thinking, like, what's the harm? Let's get this over with. Yeah, exactly. Everyone knew it was coming. And it was funny because you watch that editing and you just know how reality TV works. The good guys tend to win. And, like, you look at the editing of that season, the older people, I know I'm going to get a lot of shit about this on, on Facebook. Bring the comments on, I know. But clearly the older people were the good guys at that showdown because they had the work ethic. They were working hard, trying to do stuff for the group. And the young people weren't. They were being shown as disrespectful every time they opened their mouths. And the fact that the young people won that showdown, oh, my God, did the message boards go nuts after that. I remember coming on to Survivor Sucks right after, just people threatening to kill Lindsay. They were going to, you know, fucking shoot Silas. I'm going to hunt down Lindsay. I'm going to kill her. Like, fuck her. Like, it was crazy. And it's just because people were so shocked that the villains won this. Like, a villain was probably going to win this game. That's what it looked like. Samburu was winning the season. They were up 8-6. They just won the showdown, so they had control of the tribe. If you looked at that, and you looked at the, there's a quote in there from Silas saying, oh, you might as well write me the check on the winner. I mean, every sign pointed to one of the younger four Samburus winning that season, probably Silas. And I remember the fans on the internet just went absolutely apeshit over that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it showed us we, we got these ties, these early seasons with their ties. And this tie was their first tribal council, so there's no past votes. There's nothing like that, and it was a trivia challenge. And, you know, there's Dr. Carl, and then there's Lindsay Richter, and yeah. Carl loses. Carl loses the medical question. <laughs> yeah. And it's even funnier. It's just the funny the way this stuff works out, but later in the season, Lindsay did get a tick on her ass, and they had to retract <laughs> it with hot water. It's great. It's just funny how some of this stuff works out. Doc Carl loses the medical question to Lindsay, and then the exact same thing that Lindsay had to answer question on happens to her later in the season. But yeah, so Doc Carl's gone, and the youngsters took over the game. And if you, it's funny, if you look at the faces, it's like they're as surprised as anyone that they're controlling the shots now. If you look at the end of the episode, that Silas, Kim, Lindsay, and Brandon are going to be the next Toggy Four. And it's just ridiculous to see what the audience reaction was to that, because I can guarantee that was not what people wanted to happen. Yep. But, you know, Lindsay loved having those votes, right? <laughs> she did. <laughs> Although, the, yeah, the votes come into play even better next episode. We'll get to that in a second. But, yeah, so Lindsay gets these votes piled onto her, and, and she's shocked that she won the showdown. And I just love her reaction, like, holy crap, we're going to win now. And then, I mean, then we have to endure the whole next episode of uh, the younger people, you know, ruling the roost. Yeah, that's, and, the, and, that's the greatest. I mean, it's just, it's great kind of how the older people react to it, you know, just kind of like not doing anything and, and 
when they get up for you know the next morning for the reward challenge, they just kind of let them sleep in, and then they find out that they have to go to this challenge and they can't go to the water hole and stuff. And it's just even great the way when Linda brings back the tree mail, they're like, oh. she's like, how about one if you read it? They're like, no, you read it. She goes, no, 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 no. How about one of you read it? And then Lindsay's like, if you're quick like a spider, you'll be happy as your bellies get wider. <laughs> and then Linda's jumping out, it's a food reward. And that's when we get the whole scene where she's uh, going crazy. And Brandon goes, Linda has these very two different sides. Or, you know, she has kind of this nice, sweet New England mom. And then there's... I don't know, this crazy woman side to her, and she's jumping down, I can't wait to be on the team! Give me a hug! <laughs> See, that's one of those instances when, you know, there's crazy bad and crazy scary. That was one of those instances that was crazy good. Because, you know, everyone, you know, kind of hated that the youngsters took over Samburu. And then Linda comes up and just starts doing crazy shit right in their face to mock them. And it's like, as a, as a viewer, it's funny. It's like, <laughs> that's crazy good. I like that crazy. I can stand behind that. Well, it's this, it's this tough thing. I mean, this, this is how we're, we're learning the game. I mean, obviously, you get yourself in a power alliance, you get yourself the majority, and then, you know, you, you pecong everyone else. It's kind of how it goes. And in Australia, we saw sort of the same strategy again. And here, here in Africa, you know, the Samburu tribe has got the advantage over Barana right now in the numbers, and Silas and Lindsay and Brandon and Kim are this majority, and they're like, well, this is ours. There's nothing that can happen. Nothing bad will ever happen to us. There's no other way you can play this. They just didn't see anything out. So, you know, they're just going around their camp, and they're like, yeah, Frank, Teresa, Linda, I know you guys are not going to win, but you want us to win, right? Like, you're going to do stuff for us, right? Like, this is all good. Take a knee. Yeah, God bless Silas. <laughs> I, I was watching just that episode the other day, and, you know, you see Silas and Lindsay walking around, you know, bossing around the old people. You're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to sleep in a little more because some people just need a little more sleep, and, like, Frank's just rolling his eyes. And then, yeah, you got the scene where, where Silas takes a knee in front of everyone, and just everyone's rolling their eyes. And I remember my wife in particular. She's like, I hate that guy. <laughs> and she, she said that just recently during our rewatch. She was listening to Lindsay. She's like, I hate Lindsay's voice. It's like it's just funny that Silas and Lindsay are just the perfect combination of irritating. <laughs> They're irritating, and they just you know that's what showed everyone. It was that hubris. The whole you know this nothing bad is going to happen to us. We are in this power position. This is now the unbreakable bond and survivor. And it's even for a twist thing, but it just showed everybody that you you can't ever do that. You know, it's, it's just not a good thing. If there's people on your tribe that don't like you, they're not going to work for you. They really aren't. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, i got I got to point this out because there's a, an off chance Lindsay Richter might actually hear this podcast one day. And, you know, it sounds like we're piling on her. Lindsay was not well-liked. Survivor fans hated her. I mean, she just got as much crap as Jerry did at the time, which is a shame because Jerry really got shit on by a lot of people. And, you know, Lindsay kind of got the same treatment. But the thing with difference between Lindsay and Jerry is Jerry was very much hurt by it. I've, I actually met Lindsay once at a fan event, and she knows how much people hated her. She even said she hated herself on TV, too. She's like, that girl was annoying. So Lindsay knows full well that people hated her, and she'll laugh about it. <clears throat> In fact, when I came up to meet her for the first time at a fan event, some, uh, someone introduced me as, oh, you're, this is Mario. He's a fan of yours, Lindsay. And she's like, oh, my God, you're the person who likes me. You're the one person who likes me. So... <laughs> I said, Lindsay has a good sense of humor. I've met her in person. I think she didn't like the way she came off on TV and probably learned her lesson and is embarrassed by it. So when we're talking crap about it here, we're just talking about 
things that she herself doesn't like seeing on TV. So we're not really piling on Lindsay, but yeah, honestly, in Africa, fuck Lindsay. <laughs> no, she's good. great. I mean, you have to appreciate her. She was great television. She's, I mean, we'll get to it too, but I mean, like just the whole, you know, rise and fall of Lindsay Richter is just, it's an amazing, you know, little, little, uh, you know, story we get in the first six episodes. I mean, she's such a huge part of the season and we don't even see her past the merge. Yeah, that's the thing. People forget. And unfortunately, she kind of gets overshadowed because Silas has an even better downfall. But yeah, Lindsay was right there. And like, they were really a pair. When you talk about Silas, you got to talk about Lindsay. It's really Silas and Lindsay. And then Brandon was a little more level-headed. Kim was kind of the forgettable one of the four. But yeah, you had King and Queen you know, spontaneous, irritating dipshit, Silas and Lindsay, who had these huge downfalls later. But this episode four is their one episode to shine where they're laying down the law, they're walking around, they're ruling the roost, they're, Lindsay's telling everyone not to fuck with her, you don't fuck with me, you don't want to fuck with any people. It's, just a, it's, it's a great uh, afterglow moment for the two of them to bask in their victory. You know what else you don't want to fuck with? A water buffalo. That's true. Is that this episode, episode four? Yes. Yeah, that's the one where they're walk, they're hiking, and they see the water buffalo, and Lex says, "Wow, that's scary. That's the scariest thing in Africa. You don't want to run into that." Which I always thought was funny because at no point during that scene do they actually mention what that animal is. It just, it's a black thing with horns. Like I assume it's some kind of buffalo. I didn't realize until I looked it up that is a cape buffalo, which is considered the scariest animal in Africa because they attack people for no reason. They're just kind of mean. Yeah, it was you, always if, funny they didn't mention that. Yeah, if if you like. Uh, YouTube, some like uh, you know, caper or African buffalo. They have some videos of those things. Those things are vicious. They just like kill just to kill and are vicious things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that unpredictability of animals. That's the you know, a lot of times animals have a territory or they're protecting something, and so like if you can walk the perimeter, they'll growl at you or you know, blah blah, blah and won't attack if you don't you know come forward at them. But cape buffalo will just seek you out. They see you, they're like, oh, I'm gonna hurt that thing. I'm just, uh, I pulled this up here. It says, the African buffalo is widely regarded as a very dangerous animal as it gores and kills over 200 people every year. Yep. There you go. And you know how funny it would have been, Paul, if you would have gored Mama Kim and knocked her down? <laughs> oh, man. I'd be laughing to this day. You know, you're a, Paul, did your mama never hug you? You're a sick little boy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Cape Buffalo scene, which I, it's just one of those rare instances in Survivor that they kind of drop the ball in the storytelling. Because they didn't mention why it was scary or what this thing was. If you watch it, that's the thing. It's, it looks like they half-assed that scene and just threw it together, and they could have done more with it. Because, like, that was a legitimate scary moment, seeing a Cape Buffalo. I just wrote in my notes, uh, Boran still on the losing streak. Mama Kim is costing them. Very sad scenes to watch. This is the one where, I hate to set Paul up for this, where she's running and she falls. <laughs> well, did she, well, did she fall on the net? I don't know if she actually, did she actually fall during that challenge? Oh, she might on the net to. because she falls in the, the, the second episode, the reward challenge, running up to it, and then she falls, and the, she has a scene afterwards where she feels bad, and it's like almost kind of a repeat two episodes later, and that's where Lex has the, the interview about, you know, it kind of was a, a wake-up call that, uh, that you know, Kim is not up to these physical challenges. I mean, really setting up like Kim Johnson's going to be, you know, out of there pretty soon. Yeah, and it's funny watching that because you're supposed to kind of feel bad for her. Which I think from a, if you're looking at an editing standpoint of Africa, that Mama Kim was kind of like an underdog. You're supposed to kind of root for her as the season went along because she got past this stage and she kind of got to the end. And maybe they were hoping people would root for her against Ethan, which no one in the fucking world rooted for her against Ethan. But it's just funny the way they, they kind of treated her there. They, they want you to really have a soft spot for Mama Kim, despite the fact that she's clearly helpless and is a huge liability in everything. 
Well, I think the Baron just you, you're supposed to have a pretty positive attitude about Baron as it is. I mean, Diane went home and we didn't really like Diane, but that was just episode one, three days in. And yeah. you know, even that Jesse was a liability, but we didn't get a lot of bad about Jesse. Ninety-six percent, remember? So, even though we've got you know Kim Jong who is a a physical liability, you know, she we're still going to point out some positives. Whereas you know, we, we've got plenty of negatives over in Samburu to to point out for you. Yeah, that's true. In fact, I'm looking at my notes here for episode four, and the whole thing I just keep writing, episode four is save Mama Kim, save Mama Kim. And that's the whole theme of the episode. Will she make it through this episode? And Ethan, you know, is kind of looking out for her. He's her she's the outback, her the surrogate mom out there. So the whole episode of episode four, it starts off Lindsay and Silas, Silas gloating. And the, basically the theme of the episode is, can we save Mama Kim? Will she make it past this episode? And well, yeah, so that, that's really what happened. Well, you there. know who does save her are the producers, because they come up with the challenge where she can just be an architect and remember where a hut goes. <laughs> oh, that's the hot one, yeah. Yeah. What a lame challenge. <laughs> Such a weird, like, unsurvivor-esque challenge. I mean, like, they, they could do that one in the Big Brother house. That's the one where Lindsay carries the, uh, the house up and scrapes her face, right? Scrapes her face, and there's the scene of Kim Powell. She's like, I have it! <laughs> I think episode four is also the one where they're, they're boiling their water pots and their water pots start crumbling into dust and stuff. It's like the worst water pots ever. Like, <laughs> my God. Yeah, I know. Like, the one season that's dependent on them boiling water and they give them the fucking Ikea water pots that are <laughs> cost like three bucks and dissolve in fire the third time you burn them. They're like all cracked, you know? They have to like boil it in like the shallow, you know, quarter of the pot after a while it's like what are you well, that's ridiculous they had, shit. they had to take off the sticker that was like do not cook and open flame <laughs> Ooh, that was good that's good but yeah i remember that i'm thinking I, i'm amazed that no one died in that season with their water pots falling apart they're drinking elephant shit i mean if there's cape buffaloes walking around there's lions their only protection is a wall of thorns against lions every night it's just crazy if you watch that in retrospect. And then one thing else I also wrote in my notes here is, wow, Ethan's shirt is still ridiculously blue. So I, I was apparently quite taken by the hue of his shirt. I wonder what it would be like if Teresa had a blue shirt. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> something Okay, something else I wrote in my notes here. Uh, the challenge where they have to carry the nomad village from one hill to the other. I wrote, the, the the music in that challenge is excellent. It makes it seem so much more exciting than it really was. Yeah, music <laughs> saves that. And, and uh, I mean, it wasn't a fall, but Lindsay scraping up her face, it, you know, helps it a little. <laughs> as long as there's violence against women, Paul's in favor. <laughs> but, um, boom. <laughs> Let's see, I wrote, uh, there's a great shot at the end of episode four where the Barons just climb a hill and celebrate the fact that they are standing here in Africa. So that's a and fun survivor moment. Yeah, I wrote, they would never have that scene anymore. It's it's not even character development. It's just location development. It's like the location is a character in essence. And I, I always love that shot because it's like, yeah, they're just celebrating where this season is even being set in the country slash continent of Africa. They could see the whole country from there. <laughs> exactly. And then Mama Kim fell off the cliff, so it was awesome. <laughs> Uh, it's a great, it's a great thing. It's a, it's a good little moment, and you're right. It would, it would, it is no place in modern Survivor, and yet here it is, and it's a really nice moment. It is, uh, which is being broken up by uh, Sam Brewer going back and discussing <laughs> tribal council votes. 
Okay, out of all the scenes in Africa, this might be my favorite moment. This is oh, my they, God. Yeah, the Stamburu comes back, and, you know, they're going to have to go to tribal council, and it's the four youngers against the three elders. And the youngsters are like, okay, we're going to vote you out. Now, here's how you guys should vote, too, just so it's easier for us down the road to win. And I just love the just the, the fact that Silas doesn't see a problem with that logic. <laughs> it cracks me every time I watch it. So, yeah, the, to, to, to explain this to, to the people that have not seen the season, basically, uh, at the previous tribal council, when Carl went home in the tie vote, all of the elder people voted for Lindsay. So when they're going to tribal council, Silas is like, what you old people should do is you continue to vote for Lindsay because she already has past votes. She's got a lot of past votes. Um, if you give votes to other people, then more of us now have past votes. And if we get into some sort of deadlock with Baran, that could be very, very deadly if more than one of us has past votes. So vote for Lindsay, guys. Yeah, you know how we're treating the th- three of you like shit? Well, if you can help us out here, this would be really good for us if you helped it make it easier for us to win. <laughs> What's in it for us? Nothing. Yeah, well, nothing. <laughs> That's the greatest scene. It's like, I. I Anybody who says the the Samburu youngsters got a raw deal in the editor, they weren't really that dislikable. Like you got to watch that season again. This episode four crap is ridiculous. Like it's like, it is character assassination. It's literally a character assassination. <laughs> it's so perfect leading into the twist too. It's ridiculous. This is the last episode pre twist, and it's just totally the Samburu youngsters doing irritating shit and pissing everyone off. Oh, the hubris! <laughs> it's great. I'm trying to think. Uh, Brandon's like, well, we're not going to tell you who we're going to vote for tonight. And the old people are like, well, at least tell us who's going home. Then maybe we'll think about helping you. Like, no, we don't think you need to know. We want you to be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and it's great because Silas is the one leading this charge. And he's like, hey, everyone vote for Lindsay, blah, blah, blah. And Linda's just like, I don't want that guy to win a million dollars. And <laughs> Silas gets all three votes at tribal council. Yeah. Gotta love it. Linda has a great confessional. Where she's like. I don't want Silas to win. I don't care. I just don't like him. She goes, I don't even know what his real name is. He's not quite right. And the trip, there's some trivia behind that a lot of people might not know, but Silas on his biography, his name is Silas Gaither, but he doesn't go by Silas in real life. He goes by Chip, which is his nickname because he, he was a boxer. His dad was a boxer. They said Silas was a chip off the old block. So anybody who knows Silas or knew him in real life called him Chip. And in the game, Apparently, from what I hear, half the time people would call him Chip, half the time people would call him Silas. And so when Linda says, I don't know what his name is, she's actually telling the truth because Silas kind of has two names. And so that's what she's talking about. There's a little backstory there. And then when they vote for him just to piss him off, Frank even writes Silas, a.k.a. Chip, just to piss him off. Well, and then Linda, you know, she says uh, there's something not quite right about him. And if Linda says something's not right about you, you must be really effed up. (laughs) I'm guessing she doesn't see a lot of Silas's coming through Harvard. Yeah. (laughs) No, what I love is they come to tribal council and, you know, it's it's a total split. You got four youngsters, four elders. This is the first time this has ever happened in Survivor history where it's this blatant, the split. Like no one's ever going to cross sides. And I love just how incredulous Jeff Probst is when he sees this. He's like, this is not a wise strategy. And he's telling them, and they don't even seem to care. Or like the youngsters don't seem to care. And the older, older, yeah, go ahead. You know, even science is like, can you tell me one sure thing in this game, Jeff? And then just goes, yeah, I can tell you one. If if Baran goes into this merge with five people solid and Samburu goes into this uh, merge with four people solid and one person not solid, Samburu is in trouble. Yeah, and he's right, and it's funny that they never saw that or, or didn't care. And it's like you got Silas and Lindsay at the helm, just steering this these 
just uh, aligns right into disaster. And you can kind of see Brandon and Kim trying not to let Silas and Lindsay run the ship into the ground, but they can't stop it because Silas is just so ridiculous. And it's just funny just watching Probe's reaction, watching the elder people's reaction. And then the fact that all the elders cast their votes for Silas just to spite him for no reason other than they want to see him get mad afterwards. I just, it always cracks me up when I watch it. Yep. And Linda leaves and Paul is sad. Very sad. Linda, she was she got voted off before her time's over. But what I do want to say about Linda is, you know, since the season did come out on DVD, they uh, they provide all the early show interviews with the contestants. And I remember even during her her early show interview, you know, she's like they're asking her about like her time in Africa, and she said, you know, she opted out of the the pre-merge boot like um, vacation they go on. Instead, she volunteered and did some volunteer work. And then she starts talking about how she was able to witness this, you know, this um, circumcision and how beautiful it was and stuff. And Brian comes like, okay, and we're done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Just like, of course, Linda went and saw circumcision and talked about how beautiful it was. Oh, <laughs> heartwarming. That's awesome. Do you remember, remember Linda's final votes? Linda goes through several different gradients of crazy during the season. She's like weird crazy. She's funny crazy. She's angry crazy. At the end, she's just pissed off crazy. Her vote is when she's voting for Silas. She's like, this is for Frank. This is for Teresa. This is for Carl. Play nice. <laughs> and like, she leaves. She's like, play nicely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, poor Linda. Linda was one of those characters I never really appreciated at the time. And I don't think I would have liked her if she'd stuck around too much more. But she she had so much of a presence. She was only there for four episodes. That's crazy. It's crazy the power of Mother Africa. Once once Mother Africa gets in you, she doesn't leave Mario. She doesn't. <laughs> and then of course, as if that weren't enough, as if episode four weren't funny enough, just with the crazy Linda stuff. Then you have Silas just absolutely digging his own grave for what's going to happen in the next episode. When uh, when. What does he say? He says, there's not an event in the future that would alarm me, Jeff. Or he says something like, you might as well write me the check and hand it to me. There's nothing in the future that could possibly bring me down. And literally, this is the lead into the twist the next episode. And it's so funny that it's just the timing on that. So perfect. And then Probe Stephen says, you said it best, Silas. This game changes minute by minute. It certainly does. (laughs) (laughs) One other thing I want to point out about Silas here is that I wrote about this in the Funny 115, but i got to point it out again just because it cracks me up. Silas has – there's a, a, a specific quirk that Silas does when he gets mad. That he doesn't get mad mad. What he does is he smiles. Smiles. Yeah. yeah. And I always call that the Tom Cruise angry smile of death because Tom Cruise does the same thing. If you ever see him in interviews or stuff where he's pissed off or in movies, he smiles. It's the, the pissed off Tom Cruise smile, and Silas does it too. And just watch the end of episode four where the elders are voting for Silas, and he pulls out the Tom Cruise smile of death. It cracks me up every time because he's so furious. Like, he would reach over and he would punch Frank right then if he could. Let's get into this twist. All right. Look at this. We're right at two hours. And I wanted to point out, people, we could easily stop right here and save the twist for part two of this podcast. But because we love you guys, we're going to go into it now. We're going to save it. We're going to do it in part one, just for you, just out of the love of our hearts. That's how much love we have going on. It's the love of Mother Africa. She's with us. (laughs) Exactly. Wouldn't that be awesome if Mother Africa fell down, Paul? <laughs> it would be so funny. Like the culmination of everything you stand for. If, like, Amanda pushed Mother Africa and she fell down. I think he would have to just end his life right there. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it. That's, that's the only happiness I can get in my life. <laughs> that's really about it. All right, so here we go. Episode 5, The Twist. And I will, I will uh, preface this by telling a story. 
this is a, a personal story here. <clears throat> I was I happened to be on vacation in Las Vegas the week of the night that the episode five of Africa aired, which was the twist. And they kind of hinted at the end of episode four that something big would happen, and all the previews for Survivor, all the commercials, all the stuff on the message board, all the scuttle was that something big happens in this episode, something we've never seen before. And it was well, like, if there's one episode of Survivor you want to watch, see this one. And I'm, like, on vacation at this time. I don't have a TV. You know, you're, you're on vacation. Your wife kind of gets pissed if you say, let's not go do something fun and sit here in the hotel room and watch Survivor. <clears throat> so we're in Las Vegas, and I'm walking through the MGM hotel in the basement. There's a giant mall, just a, food, like a full-on mall underneath the hotel. And I'm walking through. It's, like, 8 o'clock on this. These are on Thursdays, right, at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's eight o'clock Thursday night. I'm in Las Vegas walking with my wife and my daughter through the mall. And there's this giant LED, LED screen TV on the wall in, in MGM hotel, like just as part of the hotel. And it's turned tuned to CBS. So I'm just walking around doing tourist stuff. And there's this 200 foot screen showing the survivor twist on it. And everybody's kind of walking by these people in Vegas who are on vacation. And they're just stopping to watch this episode because everyone Kind of the corner of their, their eye or ear had heard something big was happening on Survivor. So I will always remember that as a moment where Survivor kind of crossed over into life. I'm on vacation. I'm in Las Vegas. And people in Las Vegas, other than me, just hundreds of people are kind of stopped where they are in the mall just watching this TV on the wall because they wanted to see what happens in this twist. And that's where I first saw the twist where Jeff mixes up the tribes, which, I mean, honest, they do now every season. But at the time, this was fucking mind-blowing that they could do this on Survivor, like, Wait, but you can't you can't just switch. That's not fair. And that was the the thing. Like something had just happened on Survivor that had never happened before and went against everything the show stood for. But it was just amazing TV because it happened to Silas. You watch it, you're like, ha ha, Silas. Well, I thought the twist was going to be they were going to steal the other tribe's flags. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> I know they were just going over to take our stuff. <laughs> But the the thing said they were going on a quest, you know, so I think they thought it was a challenge of some sort. So, uh, you know, Silas needs to go, and then they send Frank and, and Teresa and uh, Tom Kelly Lex go for, for Baron. And they, they go to the place where they were dropped off, and then Jeff's like, drop your buffs. You know, you guys now have, you guys are now in Baron. You guys are now in Samburu. Camps are that way. Go. It's like, oh, fuck, we've got to hike this hike again? <laughs> Shit. What's funny about that scene, if you watch it, is how underwhelming it is and how underplayed it is. Jeff's like, all right, drop your buffs, you twist, see ya. Like that's for the big moment in Survivor history, you think they would have more grandeur behind it or more special effects or sound or something. I think and, <laughs> but, I think that, you know, maybe the, the this is like this is the spot you were dropped off on by the scary AK guy. Do you remember that? Oh, the same thing. Like, they're 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 like they're like, Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, that's you all know. the setup. Yeah, like that was the setup. I, I think that you know, je- or the survivor people thought that'd be a little more weighty for some reason. Yeah, like, no. you guys dropped off here, and they're like, "Yeah, it's the middle of nowhere." Great, yeah, you know, you know, Jeff. <laughs> other stuff has happened since then. <laughs> you know what's funny to me is you watch that twist. The reason Teresa and Frank are spared is because they don't sleep in like the youngsters. It's just funny that the, the the goal of the twist is to wake up early enough so you can go be part of the twist, and the youngsters who want to sleep in are the ones who get screwed and stuck back to camp and Silas gets nailed. It's just, it's just, it, hubris could not work out any better than that twist just worked for everybody. Poor Silas has to go to Baran with Frank and Teresa. <laughs> and Silas, of course, there's all these confessionals where he's going, doing the Tom Cruise grin of death. He's like, yeah, I used to be on the good guys. Now I'm part of the bad guys. This doesn't look good for me. You know how pissed he is. 
you know, he wanted to say the chipster. <laughs> chipster. It's particularly funny. There, there's a shot. Uh, Paul might remember this. I don't know if you will, Jay. Right after the twist, that Survivor threw in one of the odder pieces of imagery I've ever seen on a Survivor episode. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right immediately after the twist. Is it a, a nature shot of an animal doing something? Yes, it's a nature shot of a deer taking a dump. Yeah. <laughs> right after the twist. It's the right very after. next scene. Yep. Yeah, they get to a, a, a deer and he, starts, he drops like four giant rabbit pellets of round poop. It's like, what the hell? Why is that scene in there? <laughs> And I remember when I wrote this episode up for Survivor Central, I, I titled my uh, recap, A Deer Crapping Twist. Nice. So there you go. I always think of the deer crap right after the <laughs> The editor is trying to tell us something. Are you saying that they're shitting on Silas? <laughs> yes. Yes. Could be. And then we get the riveting exchange back at uh, Samburu where, uh, where uh, who is it, uh, Kim Powers and Lindsay discuss what happened, and it, I believe it goes something like, no way, way, no way, no way, way, way. no way. <laughs> yes. Like, not for good, good. Yes, like, for good. No way. <laughs> yeah. So if you're wondering why Kim Powers was not our narrator that season, there you go, right there. <laughs> yeah, that, this that rocks. <laughs> yeah. So Lex, of course, will sit down and lay out a, a beautiful four-paragraph summary of what happened and why this is important, and meanwhile, we cut to Kim Powers. No way, no way, no way. Well, then they... <laughs> And they, they get they get over to Samburu and Lex and Tom are like, how are you guys alive? <laughs> One thing that I, I noticed on my last rewatch when I was paying attention, um, what's interesting about the first four episodes of Survivor Africa, and we'll get more into this with the tape watcher stuff, is that it's not really Ethan's season for four episodes. He's really kind of a minor character. He's saving Mom King, that's really bad. He's got a beautiful blue shirt. But with episode five, starting with the twist, Lex is gone. Lex is now on the bad guys on the minor tribe. He's not on the stars of the season anymore. And it really becomes Ethan's season. He really kind of becomes the narrator for a while. And it's interesting if you watch that, the perspective of the season shifts dramatically in Ethan's point of view starting right now. Yes, because when Silas gets over to Baran, he's trying to get to Ethan. You know yeah. what I mean? And he bonds with Clarence, and, you know, he sees that Ethan's in a position. You know, he's with Tom, you know, or was with Tom. But, you know, he sees that Ethan is this respected individual. And you can see him trying to buddy up to Ethan, and Ethan plays him, you know, and, and, and he's just like, yeah, no, not, no, not really, no, you know, and, uh, and, and poor Silas. But, I mean, Ethan is, Ethan is now in the crux. He is in this position where we can, you know, fully appreciate him and his powers. It's true, and he's kind of mean. I mean, a lot of people say, well, Ethan was just a nice guy, blah, blah, blah. But, like, he's kind of cruel to Silas. He kind of toys with him. You can see Silas is trying his best just to have strategy talks, and Ethan just roll his eyes in front of him and, like, mock him. It's like Ethan's got a little edge to him in this episode, and it's, it's, I always think it's funny because Silas is so overmatched. Like, he's just used to bowling around or bossing these young people that are kind of sheep, and Ethan's not a sheep. Ethan's much more, much more uh, let's just say, responsible and, and uh, mature than some of the people Silas is used to dealing with. So it's funny to watch Ethan just kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, he just shits on Silas because Silas has no chance against Ethan. And uh, even yeah. old lady Kim doesn't back down to Silas. Yeah, yeah that conversation. Great. She's like, well, I didn't realize that you were uh, so close with them. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. Silas like, I got an alliance on the other side. The four of us are going to run the game, so let me get back to them. Linda, yeah, Kim's like, I don't know if we're going to do that. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. And, 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 you know, they Frank and Teresa sold Silas under the river. It was just, it was just a, a fun, you know, just shitstorm from a deer. Yes. <laughs> But I do have to say, there's one scene in there that I always think is sad. And, you know, as much as Silas is supposed to be the villain, you're supposed to mock him. You know, I've talked so much shit about Silas over the years. But there's a scene where 
the five Barons are kind of standing around or sitting around the campfire talking about how horrible it was back in the old days with Silas and Lindsay, you know, running the roost and how Silas is an idiot and how Silas isn't nice to people. And they're all talking. And Silas is literally right behind them, like off on his own. Like he's just standing there, like gathering fire or something or doing that. I don't remember, don't remember what he's doing. But it's the saddest scene because they're just talking crap about him with him right there next to them. And he's like, you guys, you know, I'm here, right? And it's kind of sad. And it's like, I have to have a little soft spot for Silas because of that scene. Yeah, I, oh, I just remember being just like so happy, like ha ha ha. <laughs> it just is so great. It was, it, really, it was delicious. Yeah, it really was. It's one of the best episodes. I mean, for all the crap that Africa gets, people say it's a boring season. It wasn't fun. You know, Lex wasn't a good character. Blah blah blah. Like, it's got the twist and it's got the downfall of Silas. And there really hadn't been anything like that in Survivor history up to that point. And admittedly, it took a an unethical twist that really wasn't fair to do him in, but because it was Silas, it was just awesome. So it's just, I just love that episode. It really three, four, and five. I mean, three kind of sets up four, which sets up five. It's good. It's like a trilogy of, of episodes and it's a good payoff. Yeah. It's crazy how good that payoff is. And you can't watch it and just not be excited. Even now I've seen the season 30, 40 times. And I'm like, man, that was a good story. And it's crazy to watch Silas go from how powerful and cocky he was, saying that they might as well write him a check, there's nothing in this game that would scare him, he's unstoppable, to the next episode he's groveling to Mama Kim, which is about as low as you could go. It's just hilarious. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just fantastic. That whole episode is good. You know, and it's all mainly going around the twist and going around Silas. We've got Lindsay with the tick and the ass and Tom, you know, Big Tom is now, you know, getting a little bit of a, a fun comedic presence. Like, it's just a really, really well done episode. And I think that you're right. It just pays off with the fact that Silas just gets, you know, unanimously voted out, uh, you know, of the tribe afterwards. It's just fantastic. Like, they don't even show his vote for Frank in it. Like, they just show, like, three votes or four votes for Silas and he's out. He's done. See you, Silas. Best story arc or best character arc ever up to that point. Just from the absolute pinnacle of the game to nothing. He gets no presence whatsoever the last episode. <clears throat> and, it, yeah, there's some other... It's uh, And it's, it's even worse because they throw a challenge to get rid of him. Like, had there been a thrown challenge up to that point in forever? I'm trying to think. Was that really the first one that some, they just throw a challenge to get rid of somebody? I mean, uh, other than uh, BB suggesting in episode two to think about whether or not they want to win the challenge, I would say yes. <laughs> and it's funny because it was Ethan, of all people, who was behind the throwing of the challenge. So, again, people say, oh, Ethan's just a nice guy. You know, he wins because he's likable. But, like, he had an edge to him. He was the first person to really throw a challenge to get rid of, cut somebody's throat. I mean, Ethan has more of an edge to him than people give him credit for. Well, you just have to put, right. it, you just have to put it into Teresa terms that if we don't win the challenge, that's okay. <laughs> it sounds much nicer. That's great. I love well, that. Yeah, right. you, you always have to think about that because, you know, it was 3-3, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's it, there were six six people from each tribe left at that point, And then three of them swapped on the other tribe. So the tribes are kind of even, right? But yeah. they weren't because Teresa and Frank went over with Silas and they flipped yeah. and hated Silas. Right. So, I mean, you know, Ethan was smart and saw that right away and said, boy, it's going to be three, three tie over in Samburu if they go to tribal council, but Frank and Teresa can't vote Silas off fast enough. Yeah. Which, okay. Maybe, maybe Teresa and Frank kind of shot themselves in the foot. Maybe that might not have been the best move for them, but I don't care. Cause it was just funny. Yeah. Yeah. Long, 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 long term. That's, that's, that's the death knell for Frank and Teresa. But at the same point, Silas gets an even quicker nail on the coffin. Oh, I noticed something here in my notes. 
uh, over at uh, Bara or Samburu when Tom gets there. He's talking about who they got. How they got Brandon, uh, Kelly or uh, Brandon, Kim, and Lindsay. And uh, Big Tom actually does drop the keyword. He says we got a queer and two girls who is tied as a badger hide. So. There you go. I, I said earlier that Tom just needed to drop the word queer to be more lovable, and there you go. He did it. Yeah, we didn't really touch of... on that at all, but just kind of, you know, this begins this episode or next episode, just kind of of the, the ex-Baron members just, you know, talking about how awful it was living with these three Samburu people. It just kind of validates all the stuff the older people at, you know, what at what they said was going on. You know, they walk into camp and say, yes, they're lazy. Yes, they don't do anything. Yes, they haven't taken care of this. So I mean, it just kind of like, you know, validates who you're supposed to be rooting for in this season. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Pagong and... Pagong was the fan favorite in, in, in Borneo, but, you know, Tagi had its advantages, too. They were more level-headed. They were more thinking about the game. And he had Kucha and Ogakor, and Kucha was the good people, you know, and a lot of people were rooting for Kucha, especially with Mike Scoopin. But, you know, Ogakor had Colby, and it had Jerry, and it had Tina, and it had Keith. You know, I mean, there's still this thing, but in, in Survivor Africa, I, how can you like Samburu? I mean, how could you? It's like, you you know, what you have to do is you say, oh, God, Samburu. I mean, I do love Teresa, but I mean, Samburu, <laughs> come on. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it goes, too. Teresa was great, but, man, I hated that trend. Yeah. Yeah. One, th- one thing my wife would kill me if I don't mention, one of her favorite moments of the season, she is in love with Ethan. She's loved Ethan since day one. She's her all-time favorite player. And there's a scene in episode five right before – before the end, where uh, they have to carry the goats to the to the pen, that's the uh, the reward challenge, I believe. Yeah. Where Ethan Ethan's carrying his goat, he's running along, and he does this this silly little grimace. And my wife thinks it's the cutest thing she's ever seen on Survivor. Where Ethan's carrying the big goat, and he does this little cute little smile. So there you go. That's for the ladies out there who like Ethan. I think he ladies. sticks his tongue out a little bit there too. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the Ethan moment my wife always thinks of when when she thinks of Africa. She, oh yeah, Ethan carrying the baby goat. It was so adorable. And then he pushed down Mama Kim, so it was awesome. Did the goat also poop? <laughs> if it did, it was cut out. And because Ethan was so amazing, he could have managed to stop that somehow. All right. Uh, we are done with episode five here. We got the end of that. Any, anything else you guys want to say about Silas? I mean, I, I don't want to short shift this guy here because he was so integral and it was obviously, obviously one of my all-time favorite players. But is there anything else that we need to say about Silas? Looking like a man. The one, he did. The one last thing I want to say about Silas is he's also is, is kind of funny during the the reunion show because he kind of tries to you know play a bigger part than he really was in the season. You know, uh, yeah. Brian Campbell asks about you know is it is it good to have watched the show or not? You know, and Silas kind of pipes up. You know, I I think it's good to go in with kind of a clear mind. Blah blah blah. And Brian Campbell just kind of shuts him down. Like, no offense, can I hear from the people on the front row on this? <laughs> yeah, Silas. Like Jay said, Silas took it like a man. He, In his final words, Silas was like, this is an amazing game. You know, I loved it. It was a great experience. I've read every interview Silas ever gave just because I had that kind of spare time back then. And Silas had never did, at any point did he complain about that twist or say it was unfair or say he got screwed out of a million dollars because he kind of did. And that's the thing if you look at it. <clears throat> so I got to give Silas credit. I, I shit on him. A lot of people shit on him. But I've never even seen a hint of anger or bitterness in anything he's ever said about Survivor. He's like, this is an amazing game. I loved it. It was such a great experience. I was an honor for me to be there. So I, I think Silas, everyone should give him props. If We, we can't really give him a round of applause here because there's only three of us. But everyone out there, you should, you should tip your cap in honor of Silas because he took it like a man. He's not like Russell who starts websites about how he got screwed or he bitches about how the game's flawed. 
Silas, at never at any point did he ever say anything bad about Survivor, and I've always liked the guy because of that. I, I He's one of the guys I wish I could have met or had done an interview with or written to an email at some point, but I never did. But he seemed like he's probably a cool guy in real life. Um, I refresh your memory. What do you do with Silas in your uh, your fan fiction? He was in my Alaska story, and what I did is I kind of teamed him with Brian Heideck, and I kind of had a father-son thing where – Brian was, you know, the legend of Survivor, Mr. Suave, Mr. Cool, Mr. Athlete. And Silas wanted to be like Brian because Silas so much wanted to be the alpha guy, but he couldn't because Brian was there. So in my story, I had Brian as the leader. Silas is kind of the mentor. And then Brian got taken out, and Silas kind of almost became a hero in my story because I had a soft spot for him. I wanted him to do well in my story, but he kind of got taken out by the women. But I, I kind of treated him well in my story because I wanted him to have a better legacy than what he got. And I suspect that might be it for this podcast. I wanted to go up to the merge with this, but we've already crossed two hours. We're closing in on two and a half hours, and episode six has a ton of stuff that I want to talk about. I love I'll, episode six is my favorite episode of uh, the season, so I'll, I'll be ready to talk about it next time. Yeah, see, I think this is a good place because there's. I don't want to. I don't want to rush the next episode. There's some really good. Stuff. I'm just looking at my notes. The youngsters' reaction to Silas being gone. We got to talk about that. Um, how about you, Jake? This is a a natural place to stop here. Let's do it. All right, so we start with 9-11, we end with Silas, and that really that was where America started healing, right about then. I agree. I agree. <laughs> That's fantastic stuff. Any final thoughts on the uh, start of Africa here, Paul? Nope. Mother Africa played her course, and, you know, I mean, with Linda leaving and the twist happening, I think the, the idol goddess has gone to find some peace, and uh, the real game has begun. <laughs> That's good. How about you, Jay? Get ready for a ton of frank awesomeness. All right. So we, uh, we'll probably take another week, a week off here, come back with part two of our Africa, where we will finish the season. We will get into the merge. We will get into the death of Jay's favorite character, Clarence. We'll get into the rise of Lex, who I'm, I'm not sure if Jay and Paul probably agree with me, one of the all-time more underrated characters in Survivor history. And then we will get into Ethan, who at the time and probably to this day is still the most beloved Survivor winner. So we will get into that on the next show. Until then, this is Mario Lanza. This is Paul Ass Oslison. And this is Jay Fisher. And just remember, your mama hug you because it's important. Talk to you guys later. Bye. There's not an event in the, in the future that would alarm me. I can't wait till the merge because I plan on winning this. You might as well write the check and hand it to me because I'm shooting for the stars and and I'm going to get there.